Howdy, everyone. Happy Monday, the last day in November. God, this year has gone by super quickly. The last day in November 2020. I'm Carter Laren, and you're watching Covfefe Break on Unsafe Space, and I'm joined, as always, by the lovely Carrie Smith. Hello, Carter. Why do you think this year has gone by quickly? I, is it because there's so much in the news cycle that it's just we're con our attention is constantly Maybe being pulled? Maybe it's constant outrage. Like, there's always something to be... To, to go on. I don't know. And I can't tell if it's just for me that it's gone quickly because we've been super busy. Like I, my life in the past hasn't been as intimately tied to current events as it is now. So um, I don't know if it's just my own perception is different this year. Um, but my daughter yeah. says that the year went fast too. So I don't know. Did it it's go fast weird. for you? Yeah, I think it's gone very quickly, which is if you had asked me, at, if you had told me in March that we were going to be having year-long lockdowns in parts of the country and mask mandates and all this insanity and an election that, you know, an election season, an election that looks, to me, anyway, fraudulent, right. uh, I think I think I would have thought that all that would pass slowly, yeah, but it too. hasn't. That's why I was wondering. It's like, why do you think it is? And I know that every consecutive year seems shorter to me. Which makes sense because yes. the older you get, the the smaller one year is time. a smaller percentage yeah. of your time. Yeah, yeah. You know, a year to a three year old is a long time. It's, it's one third, third of, of the life. whole time they've yeah. been. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think this year in particular seemed kind of fast. But anyway, in hello. fairness, sometimes a, like a a few minutes to the parent of a three year old can seem like a year as well. But that's a separate issue. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So welcome. If it's your first time here, you're watching our daily show, our daily show. It used to be daily. You're watching our live show that we do on Mondays and Fridays called Confetti Break. And we also do some standalone interviews. We're going to be doing a few more this week, pre-recording. Um, we have a, another show called Deprogrammed, which is all about a deep dive into social justice ideology. And we also uh, have been doing a book club for a year or two. And uh, we have a book coming up, which I just received mine. Thank you, Carter. There you go. It's uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein. We're doing fiction this month, and this is one of Carter's favorite books. So this will be, I think this will be really enjoyable. But we're doing that one on November 20th. Oh, sorry. December, December 20th. 20th. December 20th. That one, that's when the book club is. And uh, just to be clear, I know that in the past, you know, I made us read Atlas Shrugged, which is pretty heavy and like <laughs> there's lots of philosophy in it. Carrie didn't even read it. Um, hey, but, <laughs> what? Yeah, that's I, the only book I've skipped. I, I know. Uh, <laughs> um, I chose that. I pushed for this. I didn't choose it like unanimous, like or unilaterally, but I pushed for this book because I really just wanted a break and something light. And yeah, there's some philosophy kind of. I mean, it's Heinlein is kind of known to be libertarian type of person but uh i just wanted something enjoyable and easy to read and fun so there's fun. you don't have to come to book club with like massive insights about how we're just like george orwell predicted like that's just it's not that kind of a book club it's just it's just a fun book that we're reading so um yeah and the next book after that is cynical theories which i have somewhere hold on yeah the next one after that is cynical I theories uh, by James and Helen, and that's on January 24th. So if you want to get a head start on that one, I haven't I haven't cracked it open yet. I imagine it's a little more dense than The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Uh, <laughs> but, but, um, 
for those who More follow this channel, you're probably it's going to be easy reading in some ways because it's stuff that you're familiar with. It's just uh, going to give like a deep dive into the acad at where it came from in academia. Yeah, yeah. It James is it, James and Helen both are really good at uh, they they have a very deep understanding a researched understanding of the philosophical and academic roots behind a lot of the social justice craziness we're seeing and they are both very good at explaining the story how things connect to one another how things came to be um what the foundations of these things are uh i find just i chats with them are both uh, some of my favorite chats are with with helen and james um, and they're so, really dense they're yeah. not dense as in, I mean, the conversation is dense with material. <laughs> you heard it they, here. Carrie um, called James Lindsay dense. <laughs> <laughs> they're, um, if you, if you want to watch them, we have two interviews with James Lindsay and we have one with Helen Pluckrose. If you want to go back and find those. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay. Oh, and don't so, forget to like, subscribe, share. And we have a clips channel. If you want to watch shorter clips, not these long episodes, which I know a lot of people do. You can go to the unsafespace.com slash clips. We'll redirect you automatically to the clips channel. I think the URL on YouTube is unsafe space clips or uns I don't remember something like that. Yeah, um, you'll find it. It's showing up now. And and you guys there. definitely, if you haven't uh, checked in a while, I know we've been belaboring this point, but something started happening in mid-October and it's not just with our channel. We've heard from other people. YouTube has been, seems to have been purging about a hundred people at a time. Uh, not every day, but like it's been maybe three times now they've done it. And we've heard from dozens of people who said they were unsubscribed. So just check and see if you're still subscribed. And uh, and yeah, the Clips channel is a great place to get the shorter clips that are probably better for sharing. Yep. So, And if you'd like to support us financially, um, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but you do actually get benefits if you go to Subscribestar uh, slash Unsafe Space and you support the show, you can get your name in the credits, and you get access to the Unsafe Space Discord channel. Uh, I don't know how active it is because we just started using it, but it's—I know it's there's some activity, and I've talked to a few people. So, uh, if you want to do that and help support us so that we can eat, please do. Um, okay. I still need to figure out how to get into the Discord channel, but I'm figure it out today. I sent okay. you a new link. The old <laughs> link I sent you expired okay. because it was like. A long, long time ago, uh, when I first set the channel up. So you should be able to get in now, um, theoretically. Before we do any news, though, Carrie, I have a surprise for you. This surprise comes courtesy of Pirate Tomsky. Uh, oh my gosh! You have a matching one, I so I'm sending you yours. He sent us two, uh, two I newsy actually, hats. He, huh? He told me he was sending these. I'm so excited because. <laughs> You look so good in that hat. Carter. I feel like I need. I feel like I need either a pipe or a big net magnifying glass. I can solve the mystery of the stolen election. Um. It's so. I just like. I, you know, when you watch old movies and all the um, guy, the men and the women are wearing hats more often, and I just, I don't know. I just, I like you guys like in hats. I hats? think it looks great. You're not supposed yes. to wear them inside, though. I'm inside. I'm supposed to take my hat no, off. No, that's BS. Oh, people who say that stuff, I don't... That's their own personal hang-ups. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just a fashion thing, but okay. <laughs> it's great. But yeah, it's a cool hat. But I don't... I, we will wear... We'll have a hat day where we both wear our hat simultaneously. 
so we can match. <laughs> That's not cheesy at all. <laughs> oh, I'm cheesy. It'll be fun. I'm totally cheesy. I know. That's, fine. <laughs> That's fine. I love it. So yeah, thank you, Pirate Tomsky, who who sent us. Well, you're not gonna wear it today. Put it on. You want me to? I can wear it the rest of the day. I yeah. Know, okay. I don't want to feel. You, I don't looks, want you to feel left out because I have your hat here. So it I feel looks like great I'm, with your right. outfit today too. Here we go. It's a. It's called a flat cap. Joe says. Yeah. Oh, it's called a flat cap. I don't know what. I yeah, it. I don't know what to call it. Is it like it's a yeah. newsies thing? Right. <laughs> it's so good. I don't have one and like and that. it's from the UK, of... so it's exotic. Yeah. <laughs> <I> <laughs> it's exotic it. and foreign. Just like my beverage. Oh, you know what? I know. I'm going to piss off this company. Unsafe Space is bought, brought to you by Yerba Mate. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, maybe, that's, maybe you can get in trouble for saying that. They're not our you sponsors. They, they probably hate our guts. They will poison my Yerba Mate if they find out that I purchased it, I'm sure. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there was that. Okay. Carrie, you have stuff you want to talk about. There's a lot of stuff we could talk about. So, yeah, do you, do you wanna... I just I will, I'll move I'll move away from the hat now. I just I really like it. So I'm, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it. it on for you. Good. Um. So yeah, we were well. First of all, that image that you guys found that you used for the video today of Joe Biden with his dog. That's a really <laughs> beautiful dog. He has a really handsome dog. The dog kind like of looked. The, the 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 dog's like, why am I here? The dog's got a look perplexed look. <laughs> on his face so maybe he maybe they matched the intellectual disposition of the dog and the owner <laughs> what where am i well they both have the same he's, quizzical look about reality he's super cute uh one thing just one quick thing about the dog though is i mean it's it's obvious the double standard that exists in the press and i, I saw someone at cnn i think it was stetler tweeting about how uh, now with Joe Biden as president, we can get back to a sense of normalcy, like normal relations between the press and the president. And somebody rightly called him out and said, you mean like fawning adoration, <laughs> which mean is like what you repeating. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taking press releases yeah. and reprinting them with your byline. Yeah. So the way they've been fawning over the dog, I mean, I don't hate that. I kind I of think it's, cute i want i want to see the dog but they would never do anything like remotely similar i don't know trump didn't have a dog but my point being they would never do any kind of puff pieces at all about trump any kind of Did humanizing he, have no pets? he has no pets in current yeah i think they found uh, they they were really upset about that that he didn't have a, a dog oh, i see but but if he had they wouldn't have done a puff piece anyway they wouldn't have fawned over it anyway like they yeah, don't no, they're they not going to do anything that humanizes him they could have about the dog yeah yeah, so he only has a dog because it looks good. Yeah, yeah, they're all, they're all, so they're already getting back to the way that they fawning um, propaganda, you know, thing that they did with Obama. They're already getting back to that a little bit with Joe Biden. I noticed. Yeah. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about was the uh, Joe Biden has said he wants to abolish. Oh, okay, that's the student to go in. For. Yeah first student debt <laughs> okay so i wanted to get your opinions on this because i read a couple of articles that sort of disagreed with one another but when i was thinking about it how he's out there saying he wants to uh, you know erase uh, at least ten thousand dollars in mm -hmm. debt from each person mm -hmm. it just it just reminded me of how these things that's that are that are bad ideas that 
at one time might have seemed ludicrous to suggest that a major political party would be pushing them, mm-hmm. have now become sort of mainstreamed by the media and by social media and by this particular political party. So things, absurd things like abolishing the police, things that anyway, I think are absurd to me, abolishing the police, abolishing borders, eliminating student debt. Um, I'm wondering how they've been successful in mainstreaming them, but I think it's because we are currently in a culture that's more concerned with virtue signaling empathy than actually practicing empathy. So it's really cheap and easy, cheap in terms of the cost to you to virtue signal online that you think we should wipe out debt. It's not as cheap and easy to think about how would that work? Who actually pays for it? Because you're not just erasing something. You know, the debt is going to be paid. And so... There's no such I thing was, as a free lunch, which is, I think is a common phrase yeah. in the book we're reading this month. Uh, yeah, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Um, so wait, so before I, because you know me, I, I have strong opinions about this. So let's like... Let's dig into your nuance for a minute. Where do you stand on it based on your reading of all this? Well, I read two different pieces. One was by Jonah Goldberg, and he was arguing that uh, this is obviously, or it seemed obvious to me at first until I read the other piece. But he was saying this is going to, you know, who's going to pay for this? It's going to be, this is this is going to hurt working class people, mm-hmm. the marginal, so-called marginalized people that the left is always claiming to speak on behalf of and fight for that they're going to be shouldering the burden of erasing elite college debt for the elite class and you know who the taxpayers are going to be stuck with the bill and then i read another article that uh, and i forget the author of this one but he was also arguing against this he was it's not a good idea to erase the debt he was saying but he was arguing that, no, it's it's incorrect to say that it's the working class is going to shoulder this burden because it's it's going to be the wealthy, you know, who are already taxed at 40 percent or higher who are going to be shouldering it. So I just was wondering what you thought the about wealthy it. shoulder all the burdens uh, other except for money expansion, which is shouldered by the marginalized. So it depends on how they pay for it. Um, what do you mean by money expansion? You mean printing money? Yeah, so there's basically three different ways the federal government can obtain uh, money, and I'm not gonna I'm gonna abstain from using the word revenue intentionally because revenue implies a productive activity. <clears throat> a bank robber doesn't get revenue by robbing a bank. <clears throat> there's three there's three ways the U.S. can obtain money as a federal government. One, uh, they can tax it, right? They can just tax your your income and get it from you. Um, two is they can borrow it. So they can go to other countries, banks, whatever they can borrow, they can borrow money. Um, and, and there are a lot of debt holders. Uh, Japan holds a lot of our debt. China holds a lot of our debt. I think the UK probably still holds some of our debt. Um, I don't remember. I don't know who the, who the largest debt holders are. Um, and the third way is they can just... <laughs> I'm saying this kind of metaphorically. In the olden days, this is literally true. Now they probably just type digits into a computer, but they can fire up the printing press and just, you know, crank out 20s, right? And be like, here we go. We got got more money. Um, The first way, taxes, is what people generally think of as how the federal government raises money. But it's actually not – it is a decent percentage, but by no means – uh, the primary way uh, 
through which the government uh, raises money to do things like this or get, gets money to do things like this. Um, so taxes obviously affect those who are taxed the more. Uh, more. And so you, you see arguments like, well, billionaires should pay more taxes and blah, blah, blah. And so it's only going to hurt the wealthy and yada, yada. And those arguments are uh, true only at the very, like, at a very sophomoric level of economic analysis. Only if you look and say, well, we took the money from uh, Mark Zuckerberg, therefore it didn't hurt anyone else. But the fact is Mark Zuckerberg's money or any wealthy person's money is not sitting in a mattress. Um, and so his money is right. being used productively, being lent out probably through fractional reserve lending or lent directly to companies to grow. And so taking that money out of the economy actually does have, I hate to use the phrase trickle down because it has Reaganomics implications, but I don't mean Reaganomics, but it does have downstream effects removing that money from uh the the coffers that are like rich people's banks are what fund small businesses for example <laughs> like it's it's mark zuckerberg's bank account that funds that donut shop that's starting on like ultimately that's what happens right that money that money is kept in institutions and invested yes it goes through tiers of investment but eventually it comes out in the form of bank loans and investments and so you take that that capital out at at the top level and you're not just hurting mark zuckerberg um in fact you're probably not hurting mark zuckerberg as much as you think because he doesn't really need as much like you know if you subtract a billion dollars from zuckerberg's uh net worth it doesn't mean a lot to him um but right. if you subtract a billion dollars from the uh capital available to lend to small businesses especially if it can be lent uh, through a fractional reserve system where it could actually be $10 billion that's lent out. Um, and that is that becomes little chunks of money. It's the $100,000 loan for the restaurant or whatever. Like That has a big impact on those people. They, they miss that money a lot. So even taxes are not this kind of eat the rich kind of thing that people think they are. Um, and I'm, I'm steering clear of the moral hazard of why, why would you punish rich people and not other people? That's morally reprehensible anyway. But it doesn't even do that. So that's taxes. Um, printing money is a regressive tax, ultimately, because printing money expands the money supply, and expanding the money supply makes every dollar less valuable. So um, a really simple way to think about this is, uh, let's say we're at a party, and there's 12 pieces of pizza, and there's, there's 12 people. Well, each piece of pizza has a certain value, like it's, you know, or maybe there's 24 people and 12 pieces of pizza. Maybe only the really hungry people are going to be like, I really want that piece of pizza. It's very valuable to me because I'm really hungry and it's less valuable to me or whatever. And you might sell it. I don't know. Maybe a party's not the great example, the best example. But if there's 300 pizza pies and 24 people, pizza's worthless, right? <laughs> It doesn't, mm -hmm. no one's like, ooh, I got to get that piece now before it go it's gone. It's like, well, there's 300 pizzas here. No one that cares, right? And so that's how money works. Money has a price. And so the, the U.S. dollar, if there's an infinite supply of U.S. dollars, then they are worth zero. Zero. They're worth zero compared to anything else. Right. If there's one U.S. dollar, well, 
pennies suddenly become very, very valuable, right? They're they're 1% of all of the dollars. That's pretty good, right? Um, so printing money has a downstream effect in that uh, it, and because you have that inflation of the money supply, you end up with price inflation because everything becomes worth, you, you have to spend more dollars to get each thing because dollars lose their value. So then that becomes an effective tax on people who's, who need to have a large percent of their income uh, to provide sustenance. Does it technically tax Zuckerberg the same as, as you? Yeah, kind of technically, but he doesn't notice or care because Zuckerberg spends a very tiny fraction of his wealth on paying for his house and buying food and clothing, right? So he doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But if you have to start paying 10% more for all that stuff, well, that, that could be a big deal. If, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, um, that's, that's, very, that's a problem. So it, it can hurt those people quite a lot. And the, and the other annoying thing about it, just if you want to get your feathers ruffled about uh, unfairness, is uh, actually it hurts the bankers the least because they're the ones that get to spend. That money isn't just printed and distributed to inner cities. That money is printed and goes through the banking system first. So the in the inflationary effect on the prices doesn't it, there's a lag between when the money's printed and when the prices inflate. So the banks get to spend that money before the inflationary effects happen. And by the time it trickles down to you and the, by the time then, that money gets out into the by that time prices are inflated. So it's even worse than what I said because banks it's actually hurts the little guy more than it hurts, you know, if you're a member of a central bank, right? You're just you can spend it right away. Um, okay. So that's the second. Sorry, I know this is long, but then the third way no, that the federal I government. Appreciate it. And okay. By the way, you're doing a great job of explaining this. I like the pizza analogy, and you know that economics is hard for me to stay focused. It's just I know, everybody I know has topics like that kind of bore them, and but I'm you've you still got my attention. Economics so matters you. because in order to survive on Earth, you need to eat. <laughs> that's basically right. why it and matters, I want, right? I want to have more of these kind of conversations and. Yeah. I'm so the saying, first way is anyway, taxes. Thank you. The second way is printing. And the third way is actually probably the, I would argue, probably the worst way and also very popular. Um, <laughs> no coincidence there with government. And that is borrowing. Because borrowing is a promise to tax or print money in the future for your kids. In the future. <laughs> your grandkids. That, so yes. with interest. By the way, with interest. So just like if you want to buy a TV, wait till you have the 200 bucks for the $200 TV. Don't put it on your credit card. Otherwise, you'll pay $300 for the $200 TV because or 250 bucks because it will take long because you've got interest because you're taking a loan. Well, uh, similarly, the federal government taking loans does relieve the short-term burden on the existing taxpayers but it kicks the can and makes it worse down the road to your kids. It's the most, the federal government borrowing money is one of the most evil things that the federal government, and I'm including war in that. It's one of the most evil things the federal government does. Because, and and by the way, I, this not to, not to get at 
boomers, and I know not all boomers do this, but boomer generation generally, they, I mean, I do have some sympathy for millennials. I know a lot of people mock the millennial generation for a lot of traits, which are mockable. I, I get it. But the boomers, man, they kicked the can and it landed squarely on the head of millennials. <laughs> like, and they're like, what's wrong? Give me my social security check. And like, well, you jerk. You voted for social security. You spent all the money on other services because the system's basically bankrupt. You got to tax other people. Like they spent so much time voting for borrowing money and kicking the can down the road. And now they're all aging and they're like, why are our drugs so expensive? And how dare you try and stop social security? We paid into it. Yeah. Well, try being 30. You've been pay If you're 30 and you've been working for 10 years, you've paid 10 years into social security. You will never, ever see a dime of social security ever. What years, what years and what politicians, I uh, mean, maybe, maybe you don't know, but, uh, you know, we're, we're ta you're talking about like the boomers, but what administrations, when did, when did all this massive <clears throat> Well, they're all pretty happening? bad, uh, but now I'm going to commit, uh, I will commit uh, <laughs> suicide for the conservatives, right? Or with, in front of, <laughs> uh, I'll get myself in trouble. Uh. This is a crime. Reagan. I mean, Reagan was horrible. Uh, and in fairness, the president actually can't pass a budget. The Congress has to. But, um, you know, the if you look at prior to I, I, I'm this is, by the way, these numbers aren't exact is just based on my recollection because I, I didn't prep for this discussion. Um, prior to 1980, roughly, and maybe even early 80s, the U.S. was by far the largest credit nation. We ha we 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 were owed money by people. You fast right. forward 10, 15 years, uh, maybe 20 years. I don't know how long it took, but we became the largest debtor nation overnight. Um, and what happened was conservatives speak a uh, braggadocious game about, well, we want to cut taxes and limit spending. And they do. They get in and they cut taxes, but what they don't do is limit spending. So they get in, they cut taxes, and then they just borrow in print, usually borrow. So they they talk out of both sides of their mouth, and they never, never actually reduce spending. Um, and, you, and you can see, and look, it's hard in the face of the media, because if you cut, let's say you were supposed to have a department that was supposed to increase 5% in budget from year over year, and instead they're going to increase 4%, it's still an increase. Papers like the New York Times and Washington Post and all the mainstream media will run around going, it's a 1% cut, ah, right? When it's like, it's a 4% increase, it's just not as much of an increase as they wanted, right? It's like, right. so you've got an entire mainstream media that's running around like, you know, chickens with their heads cut off at anyone who dares maybe sorta don't increase as fast as we planned. I mean, it would be if it, if an administration got in and actually cut programs, I I think people would be committing seppuku on the streets and tearing out. They their would hair lose their like, minds. Yeah. But but what if you what if somebody was able to articulate this the way you have that like the way that you talk about how borrowing from future generations is immoral and we need to right. cut programs and we need to cut spending 
in right. order to try and alleviate some of that debt we've created for, for our kids and our grandkids and great grandkids. What yeah. if you, does no one, I, I'm not that familiar with the right. Has no one on the right made this argument I mean, people, in an emotional way? I think people make the arguments, um, but uh, spending is like cocaine. Peter Schiff has an excellent analogy he talks about. I think it's cocaine that he uses, but it might be heroin. It doesn't matter. I think it's coke. But Peter Schiff is great for this kind of stuff. Um, it's like cocaine. You take a little bit of it, and you feel great. And then your high comes down, and you have a choice to make. You either pay for the party you just had, which is tough, or you take more Coke. <laughs> and the nature of the beast of the government and the populace that controls the government is to take more Coke. So we are just on a well, binge, and eventually we'll die. That's what will happen. Somebody in the chat, this was not a super chat, but I just saw it scroll by. Somebody mentioned uh, Ron Paul. And that's what I was thinking of. Ron Paul someone who's... Sure. <laughs> Probably the best politician in the last hundred years. Didn't get far. I mean, he was in Congress. He talked about it. But he's treated as a kook by the mainstream media his, almost his entire career. They tried to dig up any kind of stuff they could in his past constantly to malign him. And... When he brings up things like end the Fed during debates, no moderator wants to talk, but they just switch the subject. No one wants to talk. He's, he's viewed as a crazy loon. They're not, yeah, they're not interested in it. No, and his son, Rand Paul, I think has mentioned like auditing the Fed once. And like, but he, they're considered jokes. They're considered crazy kooks by the mainstream precisely because they want to talk about the Federal Reserve and it's stranglehold on the U.S. and on and they want to talk about responsible economics. And no politician, no one in the deep state, no one in the military-industrial complex, and no politician by default ever wants to change the way things are going because they will be, they're hoping to be dead before the party ends. So why, what are you doing raining on their parade? Stop telling them that they can't spend money. Because spending money yeah. is how you get votes. You promise shit to people. You promise free education. You promise student loan forgiveness. You promise free health care. You promise this. You promise that. That's how you get elected. One of the reasons yeah, democracy that's, sucks. That's how you get elected. That's that's the one of the things about this Biden promise to, you know, erase. I put that in quotes because he's not erasing it. Erase student debt is that. A few years ago, I don't think when I was squarely in the social justice left, I wouldn't have been able to identify that as the craven um, tactic that it is to try and buy votes. Mm -hmm. I would have viewed it the way a lot of leftists view it, which is just very surface level about intent. It's like the virtue signaling empathy thing. Like, oh, of course, people shouldn't have to struggle to repay student debt. Of course, that's. That's the right. kind thing to do they, and not look below the surface to see, you know, that they, they view it. That's why I think we have to get better at making the moral arguments because the people who support bad ideas like this, they're doing it on a, a very shallow. The facts don't support what they're saying, but they right. are winning in the moral war. They are they're winning, winning in the emotional making, war, the emotional war. They're only yes. making the moral argument. 
we should, it, you know, don't you care about people? We should erase the debt. It's immoral to make people re repay this debt. And I think we have to get better at pointing out like what you're talking about, that no, it's immoral to, to burden our, our kids and grandkids and, you know, society's future generations with this kind of debt. It's totally immoral. So, I mean, and it's, you know, <clears throat> complain all you want about the the meat grinder that was Vietnam. But I bet if you could actually calculate the amount of damage the government's done through the expansion of the money supply and, and borrowing money, I bet it's killed more people. I mean, I bet I, I'll bet it's killed more people because because your life expectancy and your uh, your, your life expectancy is 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 related to your standard of living, which is related to your the, the economic health of a nation. So the amount of damage that's been done is 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 incalculable. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what could have happened. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping actually that millennials, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe some millennials will be, and, and, may, and or Gen Z, who probably have it worse than millennials. Gen right, Z. Will come along and realize like, this is a whole, like these old jerks rode they're, they've been living on borrowed time, and they don't care, and they're giving, they're leaving us with the bill. They partied their entire lives, and and then they turn around and have the gall to tell us, well, all you got to do is work hard. It's land of opportunity. Here, kid, here's the bill. Bye. It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, you, you didn't pay the bill. You bought, you lived on your grandkids' livelihood. That's what's, that's what sustained you, and you voted for all this crap pretending that you could afford it. It's like... It's like they literally took out credit cards, lived their entire lives, and handed the credit card bill to their grandkids, and then and then yeah, had the gall to say to their grandkids, "Well, when I was young, I just worked hard, and there's opportunity." And it's like, <laughs> well, f you, grandpa. Yeah. Right. So that's what the like older generations have done to people. It's like your cocaine party analogy. They just they just kept the party going their totally. whole life. The cocaine party took out a bunch of credit card debt. And then, like you said, they want to die before the bill comes and then just die and give all the debt from the cocaine parties to their grandkids. Right. And, the, <laughs> and they're horrified. And everyone's Republicans and Democrats alike are afraid of the, the older voters. Right. Because because the older voters have this like unearned, like moral indignation. If anyone suggests, hey, maybe we should cut social. Security. How dare you? How dare you? cut my social? <laughs> It's like, well, I mean. You know, look, dude, you snorted it in the 80s. It's over. You snorted your retirement in the 80s. It's done. You don't deserve it. I don't care how much you paid in. I mean, obviously on an individual level, that's not true. But as a, as a, level, as a class of people, like, they snorted their retirement in the 80s. It's over. It's done. And the 90s, they just discontinued to vote for this crap. So if you love your grandkids, <laughs> you don't do this. Well, on that note, and someone says it predates the boomers. That is exactly true. I am, I am saying boomers. It predates the boomers, uh, and it postdates the boomers. It is not only the boomers, um, right? So I don't, I don't want to. He's just speaking in generalities. Yeah. So before okay. we get too far behind, <laughs> sorry, let's do super chats because some people I saw some of them going by. And some of the comments also that are not super chats going by, and a lot of them are talking. A lot of the comments are about the same subject. 
Okay, cool. And and we we actually haven't talked too much about student loans, but we'll get to there. Okay, Judge Lot. Judge Lot gives us ten bucks and says, Carrie, I remember you saying that you enjoyed a lot of dark entertainment slash fiction. ID two. Did you watch True Detective season one? Did you enjoy it? Oh, she has to have. Oh, of course I watched it. I loved it. <laughs> I love the theme song to that show too. It's by the, uh, I think it's the Handsome Family. It's a really great song. Um, I like both the actors in it. I thought they did a great job. And yeah. You are. Uh, uh, good question. I like yeah, the last frivolity night, Carrie, question <laughs> once in a while. Last night, Carrie's telling me all about, we talked, we ended up talking about true crime stuff. And she was telling us some pretty disgusting, grotesque true crime stories last night. It was uh, oh gosh, I am I glad watching... that I do not like have to watch your Netflix stream or whatever. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's very depressing. I don't. I go on binges sometimes of whatever I'm into at the time, and I come back to true crime. I'll leave it for a while and I'll come back to it and. Yeah, I've been driving a lot the past couple of weeks. So during drives, I'll just put on stuff on YouTube and listen to it. And uh, I was listening to this awful, awful case of this woman in Australia who at the time was the first woman and maybe still the only woman to have gotten a life sentence. She... You're just, have to it's share awful. This, really? I don't know. No, we don't have to share it. She just did, yeah, she just, she's a total uh, narcissistic, you know, sociopath, had a pattern in previous relationships, ended up killing her partner in a really horrific way. And uh, I just, I don't know, I find those cases fascinating because of the ways that the people, like, sort of justify it to themselves or mm. try and cover their tracks or, uh, like, lie to themselves like the how how people we've talked about this before, but I think women in general are more interested in true crime because they're more interested in people and how people work. Yep. And so trying to understand how the depths of evil that humans are capable of is something that I think draws me to true crime. Also, women are more but, often uh, the victims of violent crime, so there's like a vested interest in understanding yeah. what the hell's going on, right? Um, right, and understanding. Aberrant, would that be the word you use? Personality behavior. types, yeah. Aberrant behavior, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I've, I've watched some dark stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there's another one from Judge Lot who says, "Hey guys, great news! The New York Times said the Great Reset is a baseless conspiracy theory. Phew, we guess we just guess we dodged that bullet. You know, that's amazing to me, given that the World Economic Forum tweets about it like seven times a day. Uh, they have a website. <laughs> there's a They're website. They're putting out videos. Yeah." I, they're it's not it's it's like right out in the open it's, it's right well they're the right open. it's not a conspiracy theory it's just a conspiracy it's just a story it's just like a it's an it's an above board program i guess it's like saying major league baseball isn't a conspiracy theory no it's an institution that is that functions like the great reset is a plan that people are it's enacting out in the open uh yeah. so i guess that makes it not a conspiracy theory but jeez Joseph Sorty. Uh, Joseph Thank says, you, Joseph. if you really want to tick people off, you can say unsafe space brought to you by white privilege. <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> well, I think that's implied. Well, Everything we do is brought by white privilege. Uh, I wouldn't tick them off. They would be happy because they probably believe that social justice people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, another one from Joseph. He says, uh, Stelter 
conveniently left out Obama going after and jailing reporter James Rosen. Typical hypocrisy. Yeah, they excuse a lot uh, on that. Obama was not um, a free presser, free freedom of the press kind of no. guy. Uh, let's see. Thank you, Joseph. I guess this is Lieutenant Seaver uh, says fourth way tariffs. What's that mean? I don't know. What's the fourth way? I feel like I should know what the fourth way is. And I feel like I know, but I don't. I'm just going to look up fourth way. Fourth way is an up. approach to self-development developed by George over years. I don't know. Fourth way tariffs. Okay. Uh, Mandy, our favorite Russian bot, says, Miss you guys. Mandy. I've been on recovery. See you soon. Well, I hope that you that uh, recovery is going well. I don't know what from, yeah. but uh, I hope you're doing well, Mandy. And uh, bloop, blop, bleep, Russian bot, Dostoevsky. I don't know. What do you say that? I don't know. I don't remember any of my Russian words you taught me. Uh, <laughs> Joseph Sort, another one from Joseph. Joseph says, government paying back your loans for you, just another version of bad parenting on a mass scale. Can't learn if you're not allowed to make mistakes slash dumb choices. Yes. Yes, we will get into that, but yes. Yeah. Totally. And by the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, that's an excellent – you have to learn through mistakes. If you were not lucky enough to have someone teach you about uh, how to make wise choices financially. And like, for example, if you went to public, public, uh, public school and didn't learn how interest rates work and that a degree in gender studies is worthless. Yes. So I never learned – you know, again, and maybe part of it is because I'm – bored by economics, but I never, I never learned some of the things I should have learned as a young adult. And actually Tamara uh, from book club in our book club, Tamara sent me some Dave Ramsey books last year that were enormously helpful to me. It's embarrassing to admit that, but who, who cares? I'm sure there's other people like me. Um, so I'm still paying off credit card debt. Uh, fortunately, I paid off my student loan debt a few years ago, but uh, I've done some dumb things when it comes to credit and I'm trying to get on the Dave Ramsey plan and get all that and trying to take care of it the past two years to start with a plan. And those are things that I view it as, well, look, would I love it if the government was like, let's erase Carrie's credit card debt. <laughs> let's erase everyone's credit card. Sure. Okay. Then I'll take you up on it. But no, I don't think you should do that. I don't think it's good for society or for me personally. Right. Then I haven't learned any lesson and I don't have the satisfaction of, of growing and doing things differently and taking care of these mistakes that I made before. I mean, it may sound cheesy, but it's true. Like I don't, the government, it's not the government's job to take care of my past mistakes. Yep. Anyway. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Judge Lott gives us 20 bucks and says, this is going to be a, this is a, Two-part chat. Um, Molberg, oh, Molbug, <coughs> sorry, Mencius Molbug, uh, has a concept that the cathedral exerts a soft or subtle form of, of authoritarianism as opposed to the hard or overt form used by a state like the USSR. Let me find the second one here. Um, I agree with this, by the way. Uh, yes. I don't know who Molbug is, but, but yes, they do have, it is a soft and subtle form of authoritarianism. 
And he a says, lot of people can't make that jump. Well, I'll just say this real quickly before mm-hmm. you get to the second part. When I talk to leftists about the authoritarianism on the left, it's almost like they have an inability to see it, just like they have an inability to see the blatant censorship and propaganda from social media companies. They can't see it because because they've they have a very shallow understanding of the way these things work. And they just say, well, it's not the government doing it. Right. It's not the government doing it. Therefore, it can't be censorship or well, this, propaganda. This ties into his next point, which is this okay. corresponds with the cathedral's power being largely informal, which makes it unaccountable and irresponsible. Yes. So elected officials are primarily just scapegoats. Um, and then he says, sorry, three parts. So just let's do this third part before we. Oh, thank uh, you for these three super chats. Thank you, Judge Lott. <laughs> he says, this type of authority is much more pervasive and insidious his idea is that long term, it is a more effective form of totalitarianism and harder to resist. Would you mind sharing your thoughts? Thank you, sir. Uh, well, yes. yes, I completely agree is, with him is, on this. I completely agree. And yes, it is It is harder to resist and it's harder to push back against because, like I said, the, the number one thing a leftist is going to say is, well, it's not the government. I, I've, I've lost track of how many so-called liberals are okay with censorship by big tech. Yeah. And 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 their cop out is well, it's a private company. Right. I don't care. It's a question of morals. And by the way, they, these private companies work with the government. Give me a break. But even if they didn't, it's right. unethical and immoral. I don't support censorship, whether it's done by the government or all of our cultural institutions and our media and our, our public square. Effectively, I don't support censorship. I don't understand how you can say, oh, I'm against censorship only when the government does it. Well, I mean, I think there, you know, you can point to the First Amendment and say, well, that applies to government action, doesn't apply to Google's action. And that's true. Um, the the argument true. that I've made uh, against Google and Twitter and Facebook uh, is twofold. One is there's a moral difference between moral and legal. So we can push back on them morally and say we don't like what they're doing, regardless of the legal standing to do it. Um, and the second is one of the things that I think is is most bothersome to me is that these platforms, and I, and I guess I'm the only one who thinks this because no one brings this up at a, like, this doesn't seem to be a valid legal argument that I've ever heard anyone bring up, but I think it should be. Um, I think this is, I think these platforms uh, are guilty of blatant false advertising because I don't think Twitter, for example, let's just take Twitter. They would right. never have grown to the size they did had they told people what their behavior would be like uh, with respect to yeah. censorship. They pretended to be uh, open platforms and and that, and then they grew crit- critical mass. So the, with social media platforms, the, the thing that protects you against competition is critical mass. Critical mass is very hard to get. Um, you bleed money. Like if you look, I don't know what Parler's finances are, for example, or Gab's, but uh, a lot of early platforms, they'll bleed money for a long time until they hit a critical mass of users that can be monetized enough to pay for the cost of running the service. And right. um, to get to that critical mass takes a lot of money, time, effort, ingenuity. It's not easy. A lot of people fail along the way. If you get to that critical mass by pretending to be a, a 
platform that doesn't censor people based on ideology, and then after you have critical mass and it's difficult to unseat you, you start playing games with your terms of service and banning conservatives and doing all the things that Twitter does, I think that is uh, a form of false advertising that... Uh, yeah that is pretty unconscionable. It's like ordering an iPhone and you get the box and it's like, well, the iPhone was in the box before, but now yeah. we took it out. We just, we changed our minds. Now it's just a box. Um, so, and, and I know there's no monetary transaction that happens, but putting content on these platforms is your form of payment because that's what's monetized. So your content, your interaction is your form of payment. Did you see, I know that we talked about how they were going to start the legacy media and it was going to start attacking Parler, uh, which they've done. One of the attacks, well, we knew one of the attacks would be, uh, oh, it's just a bunch of crazy alt-right white supremacists. Meh, meh, meh. And because that's what they did to Gab too. And they've done that. They've started doing that. But the other thing they did, I wasn't aware of. I think I heard this on Nerdrotic. They, um, they also started saying Parler's trying to make a profit. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, they're a company. Unlike <laughs> a, Google parlors. and Facebook and Twitter. Right? I couldn't believe that one. You guys, parlors, hey. they're looking to monetize things. So go to it's so stay on Facebook. Deal. Do you remember do you remember the jerk with Yes where he's working at the carnival and he's and he doesn't understand what he's uh, doing where he's having to guess people's weight or whatever? And then the guy explains it to him, and he goes, ah, oh, it's a profit deal. <laughs> I don't remember that part. But... <laughs> it's a profit deal. Step right up and win some crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, because we profit's been maligned as a bad word. But uh, Judge Law, I, I agree with uh, Mulbug on this, and... Um, and I think it's kind of brilliant because it can – this is one of the reasons that I think culture is more important than politics because the culture is what supports the cathedral, not the laws. It's the culture that supports the cathedral. And you can have an authoritarian culture that is is de facto an arm of the government without actually being – and, and by the way, even in the Soviet Union um, – in fact, Besmanov talks about Yuri Besmanov talked about this. Even in the Soviet Union, some of the publication houses were like not officially government run, but you kind of knew they had to tow the government. Like they kind of knew they had to, and there was, uh, you know, you lose access to things if you don't do what they say. And obviously, in the Soviet Union, you might get disappeared or whatever if you don't do what they say. So there's government control. But if you're a mainstream media, if you're if you're CNN. And you come out and you say, for example, let's question the legitimacy of the Federal Reserve. Not that Stelter would ever say anything like that, but whatever. Let's let's question the legitimacy of the Federal Reserve banking system. Let's uh, let's question whether we should have ever abandoned the gold standard. Let's talk about the deleterious effects that money printing has on on regular people. Blah 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 blah. I'm pretty sure they would lose access to the deep state they would lose access they would not be invited to pressers anymore they would not like they would lose access a they would lose legitimacy from their peers um and b they would lose actual access people wouldn't want to talk to them um 
and that means that their news would be secondhand. Right. This is how this is how they try and keep. This is how a lot of organizations try and keep upstarts out. This is how OAN. This is why the the press was very upset when Trump invited OAN to the Washington uh, press corps because OAN was supposed to be illegitimate, and they're yeah. they're 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 not one of the legitimate press. Uh, and so he, you know, when he in, he inviting them was a uh, he was breaking rules, right? Um, so I think, I think it's a, I think it's a very effective way, and I know Mulberg has some similar conclusions about democracy that I share. Uh, okay, Matt Deckard, he just gives us four ninety nine for our troubles. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, uh, Matt. Keith the Hat Guy. He says debt Matt, is a tax on people. Matt, what? Matt Deckard got kicked off Twitter recently, by the way. Oh, he did. Yeah, and didn't get a reason why. Do you do you know uh, uh, this is probably happening to just countless people? He said he said the only thing he could think of was that he was uh, tweeting with the hashtag Biden cheated, and the hashtag was trending. You know, in Twitter's top mm -hmm. trending hashtags, it was trending until they and then they deleted it. They do that all the time. We've yeah, known that. They've been doing it for two years mm -hmm. at least. They'll just delete any trending hashtag they don't like. So they took it down. And he, he was like, maybe I was banned for that. Just for having an opinion? Come on. You know, you, the people, well, the double standard is what offends me. You know, if you're if you're saying uh, Trump is a Nazi or Trump is a murderer or any number of things you can say, it's totally fine on Twitter. They don't care. But you give four an years saying Trump say, cheated. Yeah, they've been spending four years doing that. But if you say Biden cheated, they're like bannable offense. And anyway, thank you, Matt Decker. I hope you get unsuspended. Keith the Hat Guy says debt is a tax on people not old enough to vote and not yet born. Easiest group for politicians to tax. Can't complain if you're not yet born. That is true, Keith. That is true. Um, let's see. Is the next one TPS? Uh, yes, it is. You want to read it? Yeah, TPS, thank you, says forgiving student debt would put young people back in the economy and collapses the academy bubble. College is forced to be affordable and useful. Forgiving student debt would put young people back in the economy. No, if you want to collapse the academy bubble and make co colleges forced bubble. to be affordable and useful, you, you stop issuing government loans <clears throat> at all or grants. You stop subsidizing it. That forces it to be useful and it forces it to be affordable. Right? That's if you want to if you want to make college something that's useful and affordable, you stop subsidizing it with taxpayer dollars. That's what you do. Because then people don't go unless it's worth it. So colleges have to make it worth it. Um, if you can get grants from taxpayers or loans that could potentially be forgiven or loans that a bank, a private lending agency wouldn't give you because your degree is not worth it, then then colleges can charge more. Colleges can charge more precisely because it is subsidized. That's how economics works. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Textera, you want to do Textera? Yeah. Uh, hold on. My internet is being slow. You do it. I can't scroll down there yet. Uh, Textera is, she's a minion, by the way. She's got a little minion icon. 
Uh, as a Gen Xer, she says, I'm not expecting any retirement at all other than what I saved myself. By the way, me too. Gen Xers should be on board with this, with what she's saying. Uh, we are forgotten, but we are just as effed as millennials and Gen Z. We aren't complaining nearly as loudly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely, I mean, I'm biased because I'm a Gen Xer, so I like us. But that's just because I love the 80s. Okay. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, Tenant Cyber. Thank you. Gives another super chat and uh, clarifies. It says the fourth way for government to raise right, funds. Right. Right. Oh. So tariffs. I threw tariffs into a large category of tax. I didn't. Okay. I didn't say. I I could have I could have teased out taxes and tariffs as separate, but I view tariffs as just a uh, type of a tax, right? Um, they're taxes on imports, basically. Um, just like income tax isn't the only tax. You can have sales tax. All, all those are taxes. But I, I see what you're saying now. Thank you. Uh, all right. Is the next one... I'm having trouble scrolling today. Is the next one Rebecca? Uh, I don't know. But you can read Rebecca and we'll, we'll get Rebecca to Rebecca P. Thank you, Rebecca. Says, millennials are ignorant of economics like boomers. My friend was upset that her doctor's visit was not in a soundproof room. Didn't understand how dating that would increase her prices and insurance rates <laughs> yeah. yeah well we didn't i tend not to think about stuff like what well, I, I do more often than the past few years but i used to never think about costs there's definitely an entitlement with, thing going on with yeah. many millennials um you want to do m tax shark my screen's frozen again you do it M. Tax Shark says antitrust law could address big tech. The law, like so many, are selectively enforced. However, yeah, I don't like antitrust laws, and I don't think that's the way to go. But lots of things could do something with big tech. But you got to remember the government. The government, I think, is going after Google now with antitrust stuff, right? Um, what wasn't it Google? I thought I thought I read that recently. They're going after someone for antitrust. Uh, but you got to understand, they're not. They're not going to go after them to solve the problems that we're talking about. <laughs> Those are the things they like about Google and Facebook. And like they're going to go after them because they want a little bit more control and power. It's, you know, the the, the big tech, the, the, the unofficial, as, as Mulbug would, would say, the unofficial kind of cathedral plus big tech, you know, they're, they're all vying for power. There's politicians also that are vying for power. And there's, a, you know... They're going to be fighting about who has more power, but as long as they're both in power, I mean, at the end of the day, they both need each other and they know that. Um, so they're just, yeah. you know, they, they'll fight about like, you know, remember Google, we can do X, Y, Z to you. So you better listen but, on this thing over here and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But like, it's, it's all, none of it, is, none of it is to stop Google from swaying the election in their favor, which is exactly what Google did. No. Um, yeah. Remember that uh, if you guys haven't seen it, Go back and watch that Project Veritas video where the hidden camera with the Google executive who is talking about how uh, she even at one point says she likes Elizabeth Warren, but she can't vote for her. This was during the primary. She can't vote for her because she's spoken up against I think it might have been antitrust stuff about Google or and, and she was saying, um, you know, I like Elizabeth Warren, but she doesn't understand that. We need a company as big as Google to be able to make sure that Trump doesn't happen again. I mean, she just openly <laughs> says this, that that after 2016, Google decided it was their job to make sure Trump didn't happen again. <clears throat> that was their job. And that you need a company. They admit it. We need a company as big as Google 
to be able to sway the election in the this way was that Elizabeth we Warren's want. failure, right? She had the right politics for Silicon Valley, with the one exception that she did not want to just play nice with the big tech, um, which meant she yeah. couldn't really be on. She couldn't really, you know, join the cathedral in the in the same way. She couldn't be part of that. She was like, okay, well, yeah. we have to oppose Warren a little bit because, uh, or or maybe convince her to change, which I guess could happen. Yeah. Um, Judge Lott okay, says... I'm going to do the next one. Judge Lott, I'm okay. doing it. He says, I just want to say that Beverly is a national treasure. She's intelligent, beautiful, ethnically ambiguous, <laughs> and she has a great personality. You know, my favorite thing we about Be Beverly agree. is her ethnic ambiguity. So... Um. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Beverly is also fascinating with true crime. <laughs> yes. Beverly is a and joy like to work with. Humor. Uh, I mean, she's horrible. No okay. one should ever hire Beverly except for us. Uh, okay. Azar says, uh, this is not a super chat, okay. but says, are you kidding me? Someone actually said that. That's a coup. Yeah, they actually said it. You can go watch, yeah. the, watch the, the video from Project Veritas of the Google executive. And the thing is, wh what does the mainstream media do when Project Veritas releases hidden camera footage? They just, uh, they just commit genetic fallacy. They right. say, oh... Oh, it's coming from Project Veritas, man. And, you know, and then your friends on the left repeat that and they won't watch it because they've been programmed by legacy media already to have that by, oh, it's Project Veritas. They don't know anything about Project Veritas. They'll just say, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> you know, it, or they'll say it's been yep. edited when the video, they released the full unedited footage. Yep. <laughs> you want to read the next one? Uh, Jeanette. Hi, Jeanette. No, TPS is the next oh, one. Oh, I missed that one. All right. TPS. TPS says they'll never stop loans just like never stopping welfare. Well, I might agree with you on that. That's unlikely. Although that's a very defeatist attitude. Uh, if loans are forgiven, left unpaid, no one wants to make loans after that. Thoughts? I don't know what you mean by that. There's not... What do you mean no one will want to make loans? No one wants to make loans. That's why the government's making them. <laughs> the government makes the loans. So... Banks don't make loans that they don't think they can get repaid for. And banks aren't forgiving student loans. Biden's not talking about forgiving private loans. He can't do that. Um, it's about federal loans. Other than paying the banks with taxpayer money, uh, which will just make banks want to pay do more loans because they'll be like, great, we can be reckless because the federal government is going to bail us out. Uh, so, which is kind of what happens. The federal government, housing. meaning the taxpayer. <laughs> right. Bail us out. Right, but it's that what he, what Biden's talking about is like the direct loan program. There used to be the Perkins loan, which I think expired in 2017, and the direct loan program. These are loans from the government to people. That's what that's what he's talking about. So, uh, forgiving the loans won't have any impact on whether the loans are made in the future. There's no there's no cost to the person making the loan because the person making the loan is a bureaucrat of the Department of Education who doesn't give a crap. The cost accrues to you. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, all right. B. Allen, B. Allen says, forgive debt and people will demand it in the future. Yeah, that's something I've yep. only started to realize in the past few years is that once the government expands, which it keeps doing, expands and, and starts to use taxpayer money to cover yet again something else, whatever this new thing is, it's they're ne they never roll it back. Because then people get into this cultural place of thinking this is always the way it's been and this is the way it should be. And when you say we need to cut XYZ program, they'll freak out. 
as if that's a bad thing to want to protect future generations from our debt. But yeah, forget debt and people will demand in the future. You're going to be demanding free college too. Um, not free, again, taxpayer funded college. Uh, Rib Rock Gut, thank you, Rib, says, when do you think is the earliest this woke? Oh, there's that word again. Mishigas, Mishigas. chaos, confused, like craziness. We yeah. learned last time. When do you time. think is the earliest that this woke Mishigas will no longer be dominant in the U.S. and the West, if ever? The earliest that it might no longer be dominant? Uh, okay, I'll make a prediction. Uh, 20 years. Is that going to, is that depressing? <laughs> I'm thinking, Maybe 10. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not convinced that it will remain dominant continuously. Like I think there could be a swing back for a few years, but then it will come back with a vengeance. Um, before we're rid of it. I don't know that we'll ever be rid of it, but I think we've got a couple generations. We've got kids growing up now in elementary school being indoctrinated. So what, they've got to grow up and die off and be out of power before? Like that's that's a lot. No, I don't think I don't think it requires that. I, I think that a generation of people who've been indoctrinated can change their opinion, but things will have to get very bad. And so what's True. the time frame for things to get very bad? I think it might be 10 or 20 years. Yeah. And well, and I guess the question's also where. I guess, did he say worldwide? Was that a worldwide question or like a localized question? In the West. In the West? I mean, I think the West, I think the best that we can hope for is the West splits. And you, you end up with part of the West being actually classically Western and the other part going the way of communism slash socialism with AOC characteristics. Right. So, yeah. Um, by the way, I read a really, it was, it was, it was inspiring. There were also parts of it that were depressing, but it, overall it was, it was a speech that, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave in 1983. And, uh, it just, it, it, it completely applies to today. You know, you can read that and, there are some things that are going to make you feel depressed, but there are also some ins inspiring things in it. I'll, I'll make sure I'll send you the link, Carter, so we can put it okay. in our show links for today because I think people might get something out of it. But yeah. just speaking of, you know, communism, at one point he says he's talking about communism's attack on Christianity and, he, and he's talking about um, uh, this idea that communism is allowed to thrive when people have forgotten God. You know, he, I don't think he quotes Nietzsche, but he, he's definitely drawing from Nietzsche. And then at one point he talks about how the countries where communism has taken root and have, and, and the countries where things have become very bad and you start to see mass oppression of people, that those are the countries where the Christian community is starting to thrive and grow underground. Mm. And I think that's true. If we look at look at communist China, look at the Uyghurs, look at the uh, Christians, the underground Christians in in China, and how committed they are. There's it's almost it, it's that cyclical thing, right? You know where I think people, when you're in a country where you have it very good for many generations, and 
people get a bit lazy in in their whatever their beliefs are, whatever their principles are, they become comfortable, and they allow that can allow for culturally very bad ideas to take root and gain popularity because it's pe people have don't have as much grounding anymore in whatever it is that they believe, and and then when things start to get bad, it it has this effect, I think, where people start to like, look at the, um, look at the stories of, of Marxist atheists who found God in, in a gulag, you know, when you're in dark times, I think people start to look for truth and meaning and purpose and what's really important or people can start to. And so this speech by Solzhenitsyn was a little bit like that. And he was saying, there's one inspiring thing I saw as a Christian and maybe you'll find inspiring Carter as an atheist who appreciates mm -hmm. uh, Christianity was he said, you know, communism tries it might will never stamp out Christianity. So he's almost pointing to the fact that when in these countries where these totalitarian ideologies take hold, the more they try to root things out, the more they provoke a revival of sorts. Yeah, I do. I do think that communism can never root out Christianity because communism can't actually sustain itself because it's a flawed system. Um, but I, I think if right. you look at like, if you look at any form of authoritarianism, be it communism or fascism or whatever, it doesn't matter. Any any form of authoritarianism needs to remove any alternate source of moral authority. Um, you can't have a moral authority except the state. So. Um, this is why they, they don't go after Christianity because they're Satanists. They go after Christianity because it, it provides a moral compass apart from, an, from the apparatus of the state. Uh, and that's what makes it a threat. Because you can't have, if you want people to be obedient, you don't just want, it's like 1984, you don't just want them begrudgingly obedient. You want them to believe that 2 plus 2 is 5 because you say it is, right? You want yeah. the state to be the moral authority, and and actually in the case of nineteen eighty four, the the metaphysical authority, right? So you you want you want the state to be that moral authority, and any system that that provides an ethical structure that's not beholden to state power is a massive threat. So this is why Christianity needs to get stamped out immediately. They would stamp out. Islam, they would stamp out Zoroastrianism. Yeah. They'd stamp out Zeus worship. It doesn't matter. They'll stamp it out because that's it's why. I mean, look at—they're equally oppressing. I mean, they're oppressing the Uyghurs, right? The Muslim, ethnic Muslim community, they're oppressing the Uyghurs and the Christians. Yes. So I, you know, I think, and, and by the way, here's here's my here's my atheist plug for rational ethics. Um, I think the only thing that can actually unseat religions is rational ethics um, because it's the ultimate decentralization of moral authority. Once, once people understand, once a, a rational ethics are understood, like a rational basis for individual rights are understood, anyone is their own moral compass. Um, and that's extremely dangerous to a state. You can't wipe out, you can yeah. wipe out a church. You can't wipe out reason in the mind of your population. That's dangerous. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like it's the ultimate decentralization of moral authority and, and that makes it the ultimate threat um, to communism. And if you'll notice, or, or any kind of authoritarianism, and if you'll notice 
one of the ways that I, the Marxists try and prevent rational ethics from rising is by claiming that their system is, is, is the rational system, right? Which is not at all, there's no, like, I mean, in two seconds analysis, you can see that it's ludicrous and not even based on rational metaphysics. The whole thing's a mess, right? It has nothing to do with reason, but they pretend that it's the rational scientific thing. They use those words to try and undermine any kind of rational criticism of their system. It's kind of like saying, well, 97% of scientists agree. That's what the Marxists do. They're like, well, rational people agree that this well, is our system. Right? Yeah. Well, they do the same thing with morality. It's not a moral system. Right. Totalitarianism, communism, Marxism. It's not moral, but they, to, like you said, to root out moral belief systems and try and claim this high ground as being the moral way of operating in the world. Right. They, they, they claim to be the moral, like, look at the, look at the social justice movement into the Christian church. There's several social justice woke preachers I follow who are speaking lies. They're not speaking the gospel. They're speaking social justice. They're, they're heretics. Right. But they are claiming that this is the more moral route. This right. thing, this thing, this That's ideology. That's even more effective that, than fighting it directly is to undermine right. it. Yeah. Is to undermine it, is to mm -hmm. say this is the way to practice Christianity in this way that is completely contradictory to the gospel. This is moral. Right. They're they're trying to push the moral argument. Right. Yeah. Um I kind of don't this could be a tangent, but um it reminds me of the uh you sent you sent on actually I think on the I think it was the internal Discord uh, yeah it must have been because you're not on the other one yet uh, <laughs> you sent the COVID speakeasy stuff um, oh yeah and it got me thinking of where uh, let me show you what I'm talking about so everyone can see what you're talking about um, just so you guys know I was I like to I don't know I get interested in certain things and one of my one of my most recent interesting Google searches DuckDuckGo searches by the way was a uh, I was just looking up COVID speakeasy because I was wondering how many speakeasies are there now. And one of the most interesting things I found is there's a lot of um, there's, there's actually I found more articles about speakeasy gems than I did about speakeasy bars. Basically, it's these secret gems that are operating underground where people are <laughs> working out against despite prohibition. Guys are getting their exercise in. It's so it's so <laughs> funny that that's that's a. Uh... That's a seditious behavior now is working out. Um, so, so Carrie sent me, this is my favorite one that she sent me because it's a swingers club. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Apparently, <laughs> apparently there was a swingers club operating in New York city and, uh, referred to as a speakeasy, uh, not, they were not social distancing because you know, we read part of this one. Cause this one made me I don't even know what loud. to say about it. Okay. Uh, New York City sheriffs busted an illegal swingers club in Queens earlier Sunday morning in which officers found upwards of 60 revelers crammed into a secret location without masks. But if they had had masks, it would have been fine. Uh, in violation of the Big Apple's <laughs> pandemic orders. The illicit underground club, it's aptly named Caligula, uh, which bills itself as the hottest swingers club in New York, was raided at just 12.05 a.m. after officers received a 311 complaint about a party on 20th Ave near 41st Street in Astoria. Uh, when deputies arrived, they found a swath of mostly maskless carousers unlawfully drinking maskless. and disregarding social distancing protocol. 
in a room that featured a buffet, a DJ, and several boxes of condoms. Um, <laughs> but no boxes of masks. So there were th- this one. This one was funny to me, and you also shared this one. Wait, get to the next part where they found people. They found oh. people having group sex in a room or something. Oh yeah, I, lo- I was okay. The reason I why wanna, I was skipping laugh. the salacious stuff, but okay, that's fine. No, the salacious stuff is what makes this funny because they're mentioning all the salacious stuff, but they're throwing maskless in there. Like that's also salacious now. Right. Three couples like- were found having sex in a small <laughs> back room that had been lined with mattresses. Uh, the party was in Ew. violation of the city's 25-person gathering rule. Ew. 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 But the real scandal here is that they were not social distancing and they were maskless. <laughs> can't have your sex. Can't have your sex with the with within New York's boundaries. And you can't work out. Sheriffs dropped the hammer on speakeasy gym for flouting COVID-19 rules. Spe- Again, here's this word, speakeasy, that you had me Google. Speakeasy and COVID, right? Speakeasy yeah. gyms. Uh, again, they raided an, an underground gym. When I see this phrase, I think like, is it like a fight club? Are they, what's going on in the underground gym? Uh, no, just lifting some weights. Uh, not wearing masks. Um, 50 gym rats, many of whom were not wearing masks, scurrying for the back door. <laughs> Deputies responded to the gym. Wait, uh, can we stop there? Look at the language here. 50 gym rats. Scurrying. Not wearing masks. Rats and scurrying. scurrying. They got they got the language going on. Yeah. This makes me think of a... Remember Seinfeld used to have a joke about how he didn't believe in paying for gyms because he would just go to a gym without having a... He he would go to a gym without having a membership and he said, what's going to happen if they catch me? Are they just going to chase me? I'm getting free exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I don't... Look, I... The thing, the thing for me, I, I looked at this, and the intriguing thing to me is, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not super, uh, I'm not super puritanical. So if swingers want to have swingers clubs, that's fine. Um, but uh, it's the word speakeasy that's the thing that's interesting to me. Um, speakeasy, it, it obviously it harkens back to prohibition era, uh, mm-hmm. and it made me think about something, Carrie. I'm gonna make a case for this. The temperance movement are the original social justice Karens. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. They were white women, Protestant white women, who were moralizing. And they used a lot of these same techniques. They started off, so the temperance movement started off as, first of all, as temperance, not prohibition. It started off as like, well, don't drink so much. Drink in moderation, right? That's yeah. how it started. And it was predominantly persuasion, not coercion, right? It wasn't like this had to be illegal. It was they, they would spend time going around and explaining to people why drinking too much was bad um, and, and so forth. But slowly over time, they did a couple things that I see repeated in the social justice movement. Uh, and again, because it's like angry white women, I, there's just like a <laughs> parallel here. I see a couple things. One, um, so they they conflated uh, or they they overloaded the term temperance, right? Or they 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 misapplied it. It's a bait and switch. We're for temperance, and then like that becomes prohibition. Um, but the other thing is, they 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 started with persuasion, and that became coercion, and they used. A lot of these same techniques, they use like, 
you know, they'd show pictures of kids in like threadbare clothes and like the banker foreclosing on the house because the husband was a drunk. Um, so they, they like pulled all these like pull out your heartstrings kind of propaganda crap going on. And they realized this is fascinating. So, so I think it's fascinating. In the early 19th century, there was a couple states that passed some laws. Like I think Maine passed, there was a Maine law that passed a law against alcohol uh, consumption, but they were repealed. And so the first wave of temperance didn't really work. And they fixed it. By, by the late 19th century, they recognized a very important thing. They needed to indoctrinate kids. And they, there was a huge push to have, I think they call it uh, like a Department of Scientific Temperance Instruction or something. Not scientific at all. They said things like, when you drink a drink of alcohol, it literally burns the skin on your throat. And like, they just made shit up and indoctrinated kids. And they got, uh, they got lawmakers to agree that all these kids needed to be indoctrinated in temp temperance, like scientific temperance instruction. Um, and actually the woman behind it, uh, what's her name? Was it Mary Hall? She, I mean, she was like, she turned out to have like, she, it turns out that she was like, a kind of like what you would imagine a social justice grifter is. She's like, well, you need my seal of approval to publish this book and you got to pay me to give your seal of approval. And like, and she forced them to put like, quote, woke temperance, woke stuff in their, in books. So like people would publish a book and. And they would have stuff in there. In fact, people, we would even say, there's some interviews with people who were like, well, obviously I don't believe the stuff I put in the book, but I had to put it in or else I wouldn't have gotten her seal of approval, seal uh, of approval. on the book. And she would like, it turns out after she died, they found out that she had like a separate fund that she had set up that was, she would like demand cuts of the books that were published and like, just, you know, she was just oh, a bitch. Oh, I totally bitch. believe this. Like, she was I, just I a horrible person. Say I thought you were going to say after she died, they found that she had a secret um, whiskey still in her no, basement she, or something. Because a lot of times people were hypocrites, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They would that be like be totally surprising. drinking at home, but pushing this temperance movement on everybody else. You know, it's like the politicians who are so vocally opposed to uh, gay marriage, but then turn out to be secretly having gay relationships. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. But I, that, I think they were the original social justice Karen. Oh yeah, they're, they they're, were. They, they they totally did. They totally did this, and uh, and there wasn't like I don't think most people wanted prohibition, but they they were activists who got their way, and they got an amendment passed to the Constitution. That's yeah, crazy. That's it's crazy. This, this is this is what the same kind of Puritans that we have today want to do. I mean, mm -hmm. they want nothing more than to have the government force force their opinions on morality yeah. onto us. And yeah. you know, the mass mandates, the people who are pushing for the mass mandates and stuff are no different. Oh, I wanted speaking of, since we're talking about like the COVID speakeasies and stuff, yeah, yeah. I wanted to share this with you guys. So Texas, where I'm at, there have been some uh, city councils that are totally rolling over and even even taking our Governor Abbott's taking the mask mandate further and issuing fines, okay, for, for restaurants that aren't enforcing it in the way that they think they should be and stuff. But there are other city councils that are like, no. There have right. been several counties that have said, no, we're not going to enforce your mask mandate. And that to me is true Texas. That's true Texas. That's 
libertarianism at its finest. That is, the government does not have a right to impose this on businesses or on individuals. Um, and so there was one that I just saw, and I wanted to ask you guys if you wanted to send this person a note of support, okay? This is, uh, it's a school superintendent in Peaster. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. P-E-A-S-T-E-R, Independent School Board. He's the superintendent. Um, he's in the news right now, and he's getting a pummeling because he is not enforcing the mask mandates in his school district. And he's basically saying it's up to the parents and the students to decide yep. what, what they feel comfortable doing. And so for his crime of saying, I don't think it's the government's right to enforce this and I'm not going to enforce it at my school. There've been several negative hit pieces that have come out in the media, of course, and on social media, their Facebook page is starting to get hateful comments and people are calling him evil yep. and making the Hitler trying to kill grandma. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the guy's name. Okay. I'll just read this real quick. North Texas superintendent openly defying state mask mandate in schools. This him. is from Fox four news. Uh, at Peaster Independent School District, 40 miles northwest of Fort Worth, Superintendent Lance Johnson, that's his name, Lance Johnson, has said that masks are optional in his school district buildings and classrooms. They're not. <laughs> that's, what the, <laughs> that's what the news article yeah. says. They're not. They are if in he's July, in charge, I guess. Yeah, they are. Uh, in July, Governor Greg Abbott issued a statewide order, guys. He issued a statewide order requiring that Texans living in counties with more than 20 active coronavirus cases must wear a mask in businesses, buildings open to the public, including schools and outdoor settings when social distancing isn't possible. Parker County, where Peaster Independent School District is located, reported 315 active cases as of Thursday. Peaster Independent School District reported that a total of two students and three staff members contracted the virus, have contracted the virus as of November 15th according to EETA data. Okay, so it goes on. Um, at least two Peaster parents filed a formal complaint, citing, among other issues, the lack of compliance with safety regulations. But there has been no enforcement of the mask mandate, despite Johnson's open defiance. Okay, the people doing this in the media, they want to control this man. They want to whip up a crowd Not of morally him. out. Yeah, they want to yeah. send all the Karens to Lance Johnson's doorstep. Right. How dare this nothing happen? The Texas Education Agency declined to get involved. The state education agency stated that it would not take action because many of the concerns in the complaint, quote, appear to be local in nature, end quote, according to a statement from the TEA. But in the TEA's own public health guidelines for schools, the agency acknowledges schools are required to comply with the governor's executive order regarding the wearing of masks. Okay, so this guy, Lance Johnson, uh, if you guys want to send... If you have a moment to go to his Facebook page, it's the Peaster Independent School District, P-E-A-S-T-E-R, and leave a positive comment about him. Or if you want to send him, because I'm sure his inbox is full, full. You can just imagine the vitriol they're sending this guy now, people who don't even go to the school. And I've seen a couple of parents defending him. They're like, we need more people like him. That's why, I, I, yes, I would like to see more Lance Johnsons taking a stand. And the parents who have kids there are happy are happy that their kids aren't being forced to wear masks for eight hours, take a breathing break. I'm, this just makes me angry. Anyway, if you want to send him a nice message of support, his email is l 
johnson at peaster.net. Thank you. I forgot about that. I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> Thanks, Carter, for letting me go on my rant. I just feel like, you know, they are so organized with their hate and their hateful email campaigns and their hateful social media mobbings. They're so organized with it. Wouldn't it be great if we could get organized with messages of positivity, with messages of support when people do things that are heroic? I think what he's doing is heroic. Taking a stand, knowing the social shaming he's going to get from these moral scolds. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I think it is the pro. I think these are just the prohibitionists. They're, like we've seen how far they want to go with giving government control here. That this is. I don't know if if we could outlaw if we could have a constitutional amendment to make outlaw illegal. Sorry, to make outlaw illegal. That makes no sense. Alcohol illegal. Uh, then I, I kind of look at history back and, and say, okay, well, then anything is possible. These social justice crazies or the mask. What do you call them? Mask holes. In the name of safety, because that's what was done with prohibition, right? In the name of safety, we could do like nothing is impossible here. Any of this could happen. Um, and by the way, I just want to defend the Puritans for a minute. Someone said, no wonder the Purit like Britain's happy they got rid of the Puritans. The Puritans actually brought more alcohol over than water on their boats. The Puritans, the one thing Puritans were allowed to do was drink. So uh, it wasn't the Puritans who pushed uh, prohibition. It was, uh, I think, basically angry wives of drunken guys who... We're just bad people, I guess, More ruining their lives. Busy bodies. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. So I have to take a quick break. Okay. I will be right back. Take a break. We'll do some super chats. All right. I'll do some super chats while she's gone. Jeanette. Jeanette gives us 20 bucks and says, got shot out of my Twitter with no explanation. Oh, you too? That sucks. I keep posting warnings under President-elect Biden posts. That said, this is in dispute, just like the warnings they put on anything about election fraud. Just couldn't help myself. Well, maybe uh, maybe that's what you got you banned? I don't know. Um, they don't feel the need to explain anything that they do. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's Jack Dorsey. Even when they apologize for stuff, if you'll notice, it's never an apology. It's always like, sorry, we didn't explain well enough why we arbitrarily banned you. And then their explanation is like, we banned you because you broke our terms of service, which isn't really a good explanation given the ambiguity of the terms of service. Para Tomsky, who is responsible for the hat, by the way, uh, gives us five pounds and says, stop supporting any organizations which push, push woke crap and I'll soon die. it'll soon die out in that part of society. I've already canceled as many subscriptions as I can. That definitely helps. You can vote with your dollars. Uh, I... I completely agree. If no one supported any of this stuff, then it wouldn't be out there. Although, we'll, let's, we'll circle back and talk about colleges because there's some more stuff I wanted to say about student loans um, with respect to that in particular. Um, Lieutenant Siver says, Communism, the state wants to be the only religion. Yes, that is correct. Right, because because if the state is not the moral authority, then there's disagreement about whether you need to abide by the laws. This is why you get when you get like uh, when you get a I'll call them state theists, which is 
really what uh, communists are generally and and big staters and, and leftists. When you get state theists, a country full of state theists, they are more likely to be morally outraged that you're not wearing the mask or doing the thing because the state is not just responsible for giving you uh, it's not just laws. The laws aren't just arbitrary rules. The laws are morality. What is a law becomes moral by virtue of the fact that it's a law, because that's where their moral that's where their moral code comes from. It comes from from the legal code because they don't have any alternate moral compass. It's only it's only via vote via vote vote via vote. Joseph Sordi says these low threshold case amount mandates, like 20 cases, are on purpose. COVID will be around forever like the flu. Chances are most populous counties will always have 20 cases. Yeah, right? It's it's weird how they shifted. We talked about this last time, but they shifted the standard yeah. from, oh, we're going to flatten the curve and then like get it out of our system and herd immunity to like, there can't be a single case and we have to have a vaccine. Yeah. Like when, when that was a bait and switch. When you did know, that happen? Because the death rates aren't as bad as as right. we thought they might be, or as right. they told us they might be. The death rate, the survival rate is not over ninety nine percent. So they can't they can't use death rates. They have to use cases, case right. numbers, and right. to try to scare you with. And like you're saying, yeah, thank you for the super chat, Joseph. But you're right. There's as long as they want to extend this, they can. Look at how easy it has been to manipulate us and to get us to comply. And then when there are the few lone, brave people who step out, like the salon owner in Texas, like the superintendent, uh, like the, the guy in New York, the, the suit shop, the people that step out and say, no, I won't comply, <laughs> they get mobbed. Yeah, yeah. Twee Girl brings up a good point. She says in Trudeau's Canada, uh, I don't know why Canada is in quotes, but in Trudeau's Canada, I get Canada. I don't believe in Canada. In Trudeau's Canada, the elderly can legally choose to die by doctor-assisted suicide, which I agree with, by the way, uh, but we're not allowed to risk death in order to truly live, right? That's That says a lot, right? You You're allowed to die when you're sufficiently miserable in a hospital, yeah. but you're not yeah. allowed to go do things that risk your life. Um, yeah. Nobody special gives us 10 bucks and says, did you see that Johns Hopkins pulled their own article showing deaths this year are about the same? I did not see that. Wow. Um, wow. No, I didn't. But I, unfortunately, it's totally believable now. Yeah. Of course they pulled it. You know, I looked at, there is a site that does excess deaths. And I don't know what this Johns Hopkins article said, but last I checked, there, there, there are excess deaths this year. Here's the problem. We have not measured excess deaths. We haven't measured the causes. So we know there's an increase in suicides. We know there's an increase in deaths related to medical conditions for which people did not seek treatment because they couldn't go to the hospital. So yes. I don't know what the excess deaths actually are. If you remove the deaths that were a result of the lockdown, not COVID. Um, and from what I can tell, it's verboten to do a study like that. You know, no one, no one <laughs> actually wants to look at that and see what those numbers are. And I found it actually quite difficult to get detailed data um, 
we've mentioned this before, but mainstream media never links to anything. They never want you to see the actual sources. Um, the CDC does have a death estimate website, but it lags several months. It's kind of crappy. There's other sources of data out there. Um, but <clears throat> what I think what will probably happen in a couple of years, the truth about all this will come out, but it will be a footnote on page eight, metaphorically, of, of the New York Times. Like the, the, the truth will come out, but no one will pay attention to it because there'll be some other shiny object. We'll probably be going to war with, you know, Kazakhstan or who, who knows, right? Like yeah. we're like, ah, something else going on. And like, there'll be some kind of footnote, by the way, the number of deaths in 2020 turned out to be mumble, mumble, right? Okay. And, and we will just move on as if, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, Andrew Joyner gives us a hippo uh, in tactical gear. Thank you, Andrew. So thank you, Andrew. Um, I think, are we caught up now? I think we are caught up. Carrie, can we? I know we. I know we were talking about the student loan stuff, but can we talk about one more thing with student loans? Because I. Uh, yeah, we didn't actually get to the student loan part. I know. I know. <laughs> that's that's why I. <laughs> Let's get there now. <sighs> okay. I'm just going to read where. Loan cancel. I'm just going to read loan cancellation stuff. This is important. Uh, there's a reason I'm saying this. There's a reason you need to know this. If you want your student loan canceled, there's a number of things you can do now. You can uh, be a teacher in a public or nonprofit elementary school system in a low-income area, or just a math teacher, or a science teacher, or a foreign language teacher, or other states can designate other types of teachers, you can get 100% student loan forgiveness for those jobs. Um, the other paths to cancellation that I've seen here, I'm just going to read off a list. Early childhood education provider, employee at a child or family services agency, faculty member at a tribal college or university, firefighter, law enforcement officer, librarian with master's degree at a Title I school, military service, nurse or medical technician, professional provider of early intervention or disability services, public defender, speech pathologist with a master's degree at a Title I school, or a volunteer service. Um, when you give people loans to go to school and then forgive people who got those loans from, from paying those loans back, if they go indoctrinate kids uh, creates a little bit of a moral hazard. <laughs> like, who do you think, what kind of people go in to, to get their loan forgiven and teach public school and, are, and they're going to say, oh, the student loan program shouldn't exist? No one. No one. None of the people that go in, none of these people are going to teach your kids anything about an objective analysis of the validity of the student loan program. What they've done is they've created a factory for indoctrination. And one of the ways to do that is you subsidize, you subsidize the education, and then you forgive that subsidy, you forgive that loan if they go dance the right dance at school, right? If they go indoctrinate wow. the kids. And so to me, uh, I, I think I want to draw a distinction here between education 
and schooling. I believe education is very important. Mm -hmm. I am not convinced at how important schooling is for everyone. And there's a difference between those two things. And if you look online, there's a lot of people that argue, oh, how dare you question the value of a college education? It's clearly valuable, blah, 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 blah. And they look at, there's overwhelming evidence, they say, and they cite stuff. But I, I'd like to point out a, a few things about what they cite. First of all, all the longitudinal studies, like lifetime earnings, okay, well, they're based on people who are 65. When did they get an education? That was a long time ago. They're not, they can't be current. So they, right. by their nature, longitudinal studies about education cannot be current about the value of a degree that you would obtain in 2020 or 2021. But there's two big problems I see with most of these discussions. One is they always talk about the average value of an education. And they never, almost never do the work to separate by degree. So look, if you want to be a medical doctor, Going to medical school is kind of a requirement. Yes, you will learn stuff going to medical school that you need to be a medical doctor. In fact, you can't get a license. Even if you want to be an engineer, even if not a licensed engineer, but like go get a job in engineering, you'll probably learn stuff in college that is needed. If you go get a degree in sociology or gender studies, that's not necessary for being a barista. You don't need that, right? It's... There's not a correlate. So what they do is they average them all together and they say, well, on average, a college degree is very valuable. I'm sure it is valuable for some people. But the thing you need to ask yourself is, is it valuable for you or for your kid? And that is a much more complex question than looking at the average value of going to college. And the other thing that I want to point out, which is, I think, the worst error that they make, and I don't see much of an attempt ever to really tackle this problem head on is they assume causation. They assume that because college people with college degrees do better, it's because they have a college degree. But as we know, and we've talked about before, uh, it's illegal for employers to administer IQ tests. By the way, if you want only a merit-based society and you want to bypass all of the supposed bias and privilege and blah, 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 let employers do IQ tests. IQ cannot be um, educated. Like you, you don't you don't permanently affect IQ. You can affect it for a few years through a lot of training, but a couple points here and there. But you can't really change IQ through education. So yeah, but they're good. They've already started attacking IQ tests the same way they attack standardized tests. Right, they but all those IQ I, tests are right. are bullcrap. All those IQ attacks are bullcrap. Right. Yeah. Um, and and most of them are based on like, well, the vocabulary and blah, blah, blah. You can do a Raven's Matrix test, which requires no vocabulary. It's just pattern recognition. Uh, it correlates very highly to G. Um, it, there's no bias in a Raven's Matrix. <laughs> like if you allowed companies to do IQ tests, they would not have to use university degrees as proxies for IQ but they have to right now. There is a signal that you get. Going to Stanford gives your employer a signal. I was smart enough to get into Stanford. That's the signal. And that's an important mm -hmm. signal. 
I was smart enough to get into MIT. I was smart enough to go to the University of Pennsylvania. Those are signals to your employers. Um, those signals are only valid, or, well, not only, they're extra inflated. They have inflated value precisely because you're not allowed to look at other signals. You're not allowed to look at IQ, for example. Um, and all of these studies, they assume that there's causation here. They assume that like, well, going to college is what makes you more successful. But actually being more successful is correlated to personality types and IQ pretty highly. And very few people actually try and tease out the causality. The few people that have looked at it that I'm aware of have deflated the value of a college degree by at least 40% and said, well, it's, well not yeah. what it's, meant. it's not what they say it is. But even the signal that it's supposed to represent, it doesn't carry the same weight anymore because no. they, have, um, they have played with the SAT so many times that the grades are inflated. They're not, the SAT scores are not the same yeah, as they were a lot. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. And then on top of that, we know that a lot of these elite schools where it is considered a status symbol or, or you know, a sign of intelligence to have gotten in, you know, we know that they have different standards based on race, probably right. sex. They have different standards based on um, ideology. Look, look, they let David Hogg into Harvard. Did you <laughs> see how low his SAT scores were? Right, right. So it doesn't really mean the same thing anymore. Plus you have elite parents like uh, Lori Laughlin, you know, yep. paying to cheat to, to get her kids uh, higher scores to get in. You know, how many systems do that? Like, Or how many schools have had that happening for a while? Yep. You know, it's just become... Even that, even that signal has become less weighty. Diluted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. Um, and the signal was never perfect because um, there's always been shenanigans. Um, and, and now it's even less perfect. And by the way, I'm not saying IQ is the IQ test or the solution to everything. What I'm saying is if you act, again, banning things is kind of a, not kind of, it is infringement into the free market if you let mm -hmm. if you let people employers use whatever tools they wanted to evaluate people you might see that university degrees become maybe more important in some professions less important in others whatever iq would most certainly be one of the things used probably some psychometric evaluations and other stuff but like you know th this stuff would be used but the 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 idea that education is unquestionably, like not education, university is unquestionably a good idea, like it's unquestionably worth it, um, is only supported by people who seem to intentionally ignore differences in degree, changes over time, and the causality of like ability versus, you know, college degrees. Um, and, you know, I've said this before, but a lot of people in tech fields, they don't look for degrees as much anymore. They look for you. They look at your GitHub repository if you're a software engineer. They don't look at your they don't look at your degree so much that they do take it into, into account. And I'm not saying degrees are totally worthless, but so we have this thing where like everyone's supposed to go to college. But why? Why? Why is everyone supposed to go to college? And why are we and 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 we've set up a a perverse economic system where 
not only are you told you have to go to college, but you can get loans from the government and grants from the government to go to college, which just raises college tuition. That's all it does. It, and it lowers yeah. standards. If it's, you had a free market and you had to go to a bank or some private individual, some private organization, and convince them that your degree was worth a, I think they said the average person pays like 30K a year for college right now. So like, Hunt, let's assume you borrow all of it. I don't know. Or some large portion, we'll say 80,000 or 100,000. 100, you would have to go to someone and convince them that lending me $100,000 at the age of 18 is a good investment. Here's where I'm going and here's what I'm going to do with it. That's a hard case to make if you're going to go major in gender studies at state college, you know, party you. That's a hard case well, to make. Yeah, but see, everything is changing, though, because a lot of these people who are majoring in these BS degrees, they are shaping the world around them. So right. they so maybe are now able you can. to take that. Yeah, you can take that gender studies degree and get like a top level job at Twitter, I'm sure. Do you know what I mean? Like you're maybe they, they're they're because the whole system's going to collapse eventually because you have all these people doing make work. It's not real work. They're doing right. make work. And then they're getting paid big salaries to do make work. Look at all the, look at the bloated bureaucracy at college campuses. I mean, I think UT Austin has a hundred people on its diversity and inclusion administrative staff. Well, that's, Those that's are, getting a little incestuous now because you're talking about getting employment at a college, which is making more right. money precisely because the federal government right. is subsidizing college students. So like it, it's this, if you had, if you let the free market work, you would not, here's what you wouldn't get. You wouldn't get loans to go to college to become a more sophisticated person. People, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't get a loan to go to college to just to like, because there's spiritual value to college, which I know people argue. Probably no one would give you a loan for that. But you would get a loan if they believed that your earning potential was sufficient to justify granting you the loan. And that's really what you care about also. Your incentives would be aligned with the loan giver, actually. Your incentives would be aligned. They would be like, well, I don't want to give you any more of a loan than I think you can reasonably pay back and make me money. And you should be thinking, well, I don't want to spend any more on college and take a loan out for more than I can reasonably pay back and make a lot more money. Your incentives become aligned. But your incentives are not aligned when Uncle Sam steps in and says, don't worry, we're going to borrow from your grandkids to, to loan you money regardless of whether you're expected to pay it back later in any reasonable time frame. Um, or not, right? And you've totally well, disrupted the system. I have a couple more things to say about this. One, to your early point about how education is not the same thing as schooling. I would also add education is not the same thing as indoctrination. And right. we see this not just in schools where children are being indoctrinated now as young as kindergarten into social justice ideology, but in a lot of these online social justice groups, the one in my local town that I'm in, it, it cracks me up. I have to laugh at it, but it cracks it cracks me up when they say stuff like, this group is about education. No, it's not about education. This group is about indoctrination. It's a big difference. Yep. Education is preparing people to search for truth. Indoctrination is imprinting people and instilling within people an ideological set of beliefs, an ideology that you've already prepared for them. You're not directing them towards them truth. It prevents them from finding the truth. It prevents them from finding truth. You're locking them into your ideology. That's what indoctrination is, and that's what these groups are. 
Absolutely. And yeah, the schools have become, the colleges have been indoctrination factories for a while, but now the public schools, the elementary schools are becoming indoctrinated. It's, it's happening at a younger age. I was indoctrinated in college. Yep. I was, I went to a good school. I went to Duke. My degree was in the science field, which was not infiltrated by social justice at the time, but my uh, minor was in women's studies. Right. Which doesn't even and exist now, but yeah. Now it's gender studies. Yeah. But they, through that, I took all the, you know, critical race theory, intersectionality, um, queer theory, you know, feminism. I took all of that stuff. Yep. And I came out of, I came out of college thoroughly changed in my worldview. And I also came out of it. I came out of it with a new religion, social justice. I came out of it being a person who had grown up, um, you know, being a voracious reader, loving to read, I came out of it uh, with a, a, as a person who didn't read as much, uh, mostly read the indoctrination books, the books that were approved right. for me to right. consume. Um, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but they did the exact opposite to me of what a, a, a school is supposed to do. They weren't helping me find truth. They were building... They were helping me build a little ideological prison around my brain yep. so that I stopped myself from engaging in thought. And the thing that social justice people do, and they're, 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 they're indoctrinating your kids to do this. This is why over 50% of college kids say they're afraid of speaking their opinions. Why? Because they've, they're in an indoctrination factory that it, it's set up to they have social shame for even thinking what they engage in, it feels like thought at the time, but it's not thought. What they're doing is shifting through all of the tenets of the social justice belief system that they've learned. And they're trying to make sure every utterance from their mouth is ideologically pure and that they don't say something wrong by mistake, ideologically wrong. They're not thinking. They're sorting. They're censoring themselves. They're figuring out, how do I speak correctly? Yeah. How do I speak ideologically correctly? And that that is... I don't know. It's immoral. Well, yeah. A a and I guess, I guess my point is if you, well, two points first with respect to student loans, uh, it's not free to forgive student loans. It's not free. Um, it does cost people and it costs people who didn't take out the loan. So the idea that it doesn't cost anything is bullcrap. It does cost. Um, uh, but worse than that, it will set a precedent for forgiveness of student loans. This is a, make no mistake, this is a stepping stone on the path to free education, which is what the left wants. Oh yeah. They want free education. And if you care about fighting social justice ideology, if you care about liberty, you've got to let go of the idea that the government should be involved in any way, in any education. Liberty and government education do not go together. They are not compatible. You cannot have a government with its hands in the education of your children and expect anything other than government drones to be the product of that education. You can not do it. And you are a fool to think otherwise. Only a fool thinks that you can have the government educate generations of kids and have anything other than statists come out at the other end who worship the government. You can't do it. 
You can't. Education does not have to be the, the, the purview of the government. It doesn't. And if what you care about is raising the standard of living of your child and preparing your child for the world, then education should best be a free market. People should have to show why it's worth the time. It's not even just the money. The money is one thing. The time. Eight hours a day? Sending your kid off to, to a place? Eight yeah. hours a day for 12 years? My God! You know how much of a time investment that is? Forget about the money, for example. The time is, that's a crazy amount of time. What could you possibly learn to make your life better in that amount of time as an alternative to public education? Think about it. Because I, you know, I actually think that probably sitting at home and playing around on the internet, you would learn more. Maybe not, maybe a little bit of guidance, but you at least wouldn't be indoctrinated. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have your brain destroyed. You wouldn't be taught uh, a bunch of anti-critical thinking techniques. You wouldn't have like educators trying to short circuit your own judgment, at least that would be free, right? So this idea that like, can't we just save the edu people need, we need more educated people, people are dumb, therefore we need more education. We don't want dumb people, therefore education. Education I'm fine with. Government schools are the antithesis of education and they always will be. And I've seen them attacking they're starting to heat up these attacks again on private schools and on charter schools and homeschooling. And they're saying, and, and I've seen threads on Twitter where people ask like, why, why would you oppose charter schools? And it says, because they rob public schools of money. Right. 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 And this is how they view it. I mean, I read when you shared the Biden stuff, I actually ended up reading <laughs> Okay, so I like to read what the other side has to say. I ended up reading this article mm -hmm. in The Root. Oh, gosh, The Root. <laughs> okay. Every argument Buckle against up. student debt forgiveness explained and dismissed. Now, dismissed is actually correct. They're not debunked. They're not argued against. They're just dismissed. You know, it's funny. Dismissal. I couldn't see the graphic at first, and I thought you were just adding and dismissed as a sarcastic aside because that's what they're doing. But it's funny. You're, they're honest about it. They put it right there in the title. Yep. They just dismiss it. And, you know, we don't have to go through all of these, uh, but they are saying, hey, it's only white people that are arguing against this. Because, by the way, the author of this, I had to look this word up. Do you know what this word is? Carrie, let's see if you need to look it up. World-renowned... Whippipologist. You know what this is? No, spell it. W Y P I P O L O G I S T. Oh, yeah. Why? No, it's pronounced white peopleologist. White peopleologist. Okay. Yeah, it's white person apologist. That's why people, W Y P P O, is a social justice slur for white people. Yeah. So this person's, it's, it's, this person <laughs> is a, he studies white people. Um, in a, in, and I think a condescending derogatory manner. So that's this guy's background. So he's yeah. saying, if, hey, if they're using, if they're using YPPO, W-Y-P-P-O, they're using it in a right. condescending manner. Right. <laughs> so, hey, it's only white people that don't want loans forgiven. Okay. It won't help black people. And the argument is, yes, it will, because black people have more student loans. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's an argument against it. Who knows? It won't help all black people. It'll help some. Um, but... As I pointed out before, 
it does need to get paid for. And that will, if it's paid for through money printing or debt, it, that could easily be incurred by the least uh, affluent in society. Joe Biden can't do this without congressional approval. Who cares? I won't read that one. Some people saved up for college or worked hard to pay off their student debt. They should, shouldn't have to pay for others' failures. Well, that's a valid argument. But what he says is that's like saying only 50% of Americans uh, or 50 of 54 of Americans can't swim. So why should we spend money on lifeguards? I actually agree with that. Why should we spend money on lifeguards? I don't know. Uh, maybe because 54% of Americans can't swim. Uh, <laughs> seems like if you can't swim, you're probably more in need of a lifeguard at a beach than if you can't swim. But okay. So he basically says, uh, I know how the argument is essentially, I learned how to swim. So why shouldn't I get to watch everyone else drown? No, that's not the argument. The argument is, I don't want to pay for you. That's what the argument is. It's he obviously this he misrepresents it. Student loan forgiveness is just another democratic sponsored government handout. There's no such thing as a government handout. That's our money. Now this is interesting. He says this, this these two sentences are my favorite here. That's our money. We choose to get we choose what to do with it. I applaud you. What's his name? Thank you, Michael. I agree with you oh. so much wait, wait. that is we it, should not actually pay taxes. It's our money. Is it Michael? Is it Michael? What's his last name? Uh, Harriet. Yeah, Michael Harriet. I was thinking Harricot, like the beans. Yeah, Michael Harriet is one of the most notorious, I think, reprehensible social justice writers at the root. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> this is my favorite thing here. I didn't realize this is his article, but I could have guessed. Yeah. I. This is such a weird... It, this is fun to watch. You watch social justice warriors make these statements that sound like their their moral arguments and that he's some kind of got some kind of principle here that's our money we choose we get to choose what to do with it <laughs> uh actually actually if it's your money why are, why is it being taken away from you and spent and then he, he says well we choose to allocate defense spending blah, blah blah so he's basically saying we can do whatever we want uh there's no such thing as a government handout because we can do whatever we want this is a self-defeating argument. It's retarded. The argument is government handouts don't exist because people can vote for them. All right. Republicans would oppose it. He doesn't care. Some black people would have supported it. Perhaps because some black people are Republicans. Ooh. Burn. He burned you, black people, Republicans. Look at that. We can't afford it without raising taxes. That's a lie. Well, that is, because we don't have to raise taxes. What we can do is print money. But he's going to enter this other fallacy here. Um, he says, in 2018, 91 Fortune 500 companies didn't pay a penny in taxes and another 56, blah, blah, blah. He's basically saying, we lost $74 billion in revenue because they didn't pay taxes. Why are we bailing them out? Okay. Can we just pause on this for a second? Because this piss I, this is so ignorant. It's just so dumb. I don't. I don't know why people continue to say this and believe it uh okay first of all uh companies pay taxes on profits profits profit not revenue profit profit that means if you spend every penny that you take in on i don't know building a research facility paying employees doing something else you don't make a profit you pay taxes on profits. 
Now, everyone there is paying tax on their personal income. It's not like you're not paying any taxes. But the companies companies pay taxes on profits because before when a company doesn't have profits, they don't have any money left over to pay taxes with. It's totally possible to be a Fortune 500 company and have a year when you don't have any profits. It's completely possible. The other thing that happens, and they use this against Trump all the time, if you have a, if you've ever been involved in accounting for a large corporation, or even tangentially near it, you know that a lot of times deals are bundled, like things are, uh, act, financial activity is bundled from one year to another, and sometimes you'll have like, We'll take a tax hit this year and then we'll have exemption the next two years because we're overpaying now because we had something we want to do. Like people, companies manage their tax burdens. And sometimes the management of that tax burden involves paying a large portion at one point and then skating free for a couple of years because you overpaid and you were able to justify the overpayment through some other thing. I mean, I'm not a CFO, but accounting can get pretty complex when it comes to tax laws. Um, so you saw them do this with Trump where they're like, you only paid blah, blah, blah on taxes that year. Well, maybe that's true, but he probably overpaid the previous years and he's, he's taken a year off. Like people do that, uh, like sophisticated people and corporations manage their tax burden in a way that sometimes that happens. You'll have a year with no taxes that can absolutely happen. Um, and the other thing I just want to point out is. If your proposal is just to close, quote, tax loopholes and, uh, you know, or raise taxes on corporations, they don't have to be here. They do not. The U.S. has some of the worst corporate taxes. Um, I mean, believe it or not, there's a lot of places in Europe with better corporate taxes. <laughs> so, like, a lot of these Fortune 500 companies, they're not. They're not only stuck in America. They're international conglomerates who've chosen to have their base here. They don't have to. They can move. So you can go and try and play these shenanigans where you're going to try and suck more money out of them. But they don't have to stay here. They don't have to stay here at all. They don't owe you. They don't have to stay here. So the idea that you have this, it's this retarded idea that there's like, hey, there's just a dial. Someone forgot to plug a hole in the bucket. It could be filled if we plug the hole. Like, that's not how economics works, you moron. That's not how it works. It's just not how it works. This is moronic. It's a moronic, maybe you should have got a degree in something. I probably wasn't finance. I don't know what he has his degree in, but it's just, it's, that's not how it works. He probably got it in a critical race theory. Right. <laughs> this only, another argument, this only solves past debt. We need to address student debt going forward. Uh, who uses that argument? I don't know. This teaches people to abdicate their personal responsibility. Good point. And then he just, this is all sarcasm. This is all sarcasm. And he's basically, of course, the financial industry shouldn't be held personally responsible for lending money to people with no credit history. Blah, 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 blah. Government shouldn't be held responsible. Blah, 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 blah. He, it's just all sarcasm and crap. There's no argument here, actually. Um, banks might stop lending money if student debt was wiped away. I don't know who makes that argument. Uh, banks don't lend the money that we're talking about. I'm just going to skip it. But this isn't reparations. Okay, no one makes that argument. It's a massive transfer of wealth. Yep, he just doubles down on that one. 
There are other choices. We can do nothing or do something. I'm open to ideas. Great. I'm glad you're open to ideas, Michael. My idea is stop making student loans that are backed by the government. Stop it. Stop government grants. Stop government loans. Stop it. Stop subsidizing higher education. Stop paying for these massive 100-person administrations in colleges through gov through student loans and student grants that the free market would not provide to students because, for whatever reason, it, the free market doesn't think it's worth it. Stop it. Stop saddling students with debt. I'm done now. Thank you. I know I was on a rant. I just, I, I like it. I like your He rant. writes with this just, kind of like arrogant. There's nothing worse than a condescending, arrogant person who's also a moron. And just, just well, says things like, oh, it's that combination doesn't of, understand anything. It's the, Carter, it's the combination of arrogance and ignorance together. That's insufferable. Yes. Yeah, it's really annoying. If you, were, if you were just if you were just ignorant, but you weren't arrogant, or if you were just arrogant, but you weren't ignorant, I'd be fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's when you combine those two things, it's very, uh, <laughs> yeah. oh gosh. Yeah. Um, I just had to read something super positive I saw in the chat. Okay. This is a, a good thing. This is not a super chat, but I saw this go by. I'm so glad I saw it. I wonder if there were more. Penny Ray C. Hi, Penny Ray. Penny Ray says, Carrie, I already received a reply back from Superintendent Lance Johnson. Oh, we wow. just sent him a cheering you on email. That's that is awesome. awesome. I bet you cheered him up. That's Thank cool. you. Thank you for taking the time to send him a message. Be I careful, Carrie, my because yet. you might. I did post uh... something on. Uh, I did post something on the Facebook page in support of him on the yeah. uh, Peaster Independent School District, but I haven't sent him a personal message yet. But I'm going to do it right after this. All right. Be careful, because. We're starting to get big enough that when you ask someone to do something, like a number of people will do it. So just use use your power nicely. Only if, only messages to um, support people. We don't want. Of course. We don't want well, look. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> you know me, Carter. I know. I'm I'm saying it for the benefit of everyone else. I know you. Yeah. So everyone, you will never see our channel sending a hate mob of people after a business, or a after a person. Yeah. Sorry, you 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 just poked a little button there. I know. I wasn't accusing you. I was trying to remind people. Oh, I, I know. Hoping, I know. Yeah. yeah, you just poked a button with me about hypocrites. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alrighty. whatever. On that note, let's there. look at some super chats. <laughs> uh, Sandykins. Hey, Sandykins. Uh, Sandykins from Sweden says, There was an, an assisted suicide in Canada because the elderly woman didn't want to go through another two-week lockdown. Really? Wow. I mean, that's sad. That's tragic. Wow. Of course, that counts as a heard that. COVID death, maybe. I don't know how they'll count that. Uh, tax Terra. Tax Terra with the dropping some tax advice. Loan forgiveness is taxable income. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Good point, Tax Terra. It is taxable income. So if you owe $100,000 and uh, the government forgives that $100,000, you owe tax. Income tax on $100,000. Uh <laughs> Which you may not have, because that's a lot of money. That's a that's a point I hadn't even considered, really. But yeah. yeah, obviously they can work around it. They could, you know, it's Congress. They could have, they could write a law to do whatever they want. But um, yeah, 
I think I think people were asking for fifty thousand dollar forgiveness, and Biden's proposing ten. Is that the? That's where we are. All right, I'm I'm scrolling. I think we're. I think are we caught up? I don't know. There's a lot of scrolling to do, know. but maybe there's a. I'm probably too far down. Uh, so I can't read this one yet, but I see Thomas St. Thomas is in chat. Oh, cool. Okay. Are we, are you up to, uh, Oh, I'm up to, uh, design. Design. Thank you. Says, thank you, Karen Carter. Hopefully this channel continues. Well, Hey, excuse me. Even if we get kicked off YouTube eventually, which I think is very likely in the, in the future for several several other channels as well. I, I just they're starting to, uh, you know, they, they've been flexing their muscle for the past five years or so, and it's just getting worse every year. Um, but if we ever get kicked off, you can find us at unsafespace.com. And we always like when they locked us out of this channel and we had to live stream from the Clips channel. No matter where we're live streaming, you will be able to find us at unsafespace.com backslash live. Yep. Yep. And. Yeah, the channel might go away, but Unsafe Space won't go away. Don't worry. Uh, and if you want to make sure you're kept informed of where we are, you can go to unsafespace.com and just put in your email, uh, and we'll, we'll mail you. I've only used the email once, and that was to tell people that we were banned from YouTube for a week <laughs> and that they should find us somewhere else. Um, all right. Sweetbriar okay, McCollum. Can I do the next to you? Yeah, you got Sweetbriar Sweet McCollum. Thank you. Yeah. says, I have a... I have my great uncle's grade school books. Today's high school grads couldn't solve those word problems. Why should we pay another four years for a college degree? Yeah. If you if you look at the math and English profi proficiency of students who are enter entering college as freshmen, it has declined <laughs> severely, I would say, in, in, in the past That's the, 50 the years or so. the understatement of the I, year. Yeah, even in the past 10 years, it's been declining. I mean, they're not proficient anymore in math or in English. And um, and I've mentioned this on a previous show, but gosh, if you want to feel uh, if you want to feel a bit humiliated, go and look at some old correspondence, like letters from soldiers to their loved ones in World War One or Two, or even as far back as the Civil War, and these men who were not highly educated, they have a, a, a very expansive vocabulary compared to what we do today. So yeah, and my dogs are, no, it's, it's pretty disheartening to look at anything in the past about education and like how people were educated and like anything standard, like just to graduate from high school a hundred years ago. Uh, all right. Next super chat, Carrie, I assume you're not reading it cause you just exited the frame. Uh, <laughs> is from Thomas St. Thomas. Those of you who don't know Thomas St. Thomas, he writes for us on uh, Unsafe Space's Medium page. So you can check that out. You can go to unsafeface.com and the latest articles are always uh, linked there as well. Uh, Thomas St. Thomas says, I'm not so mad at people who owe large student loans because I blame government intervention for the expensive tuition. Yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily mad at them for the student loans. But it doesn't mean I don't want them to not have to uh, pay for the consequences of their decisions. Like, I don't want to pay for their bad decisions. But I do think, to some extent, you can have some empathy for people because they're not taught about any of this. And they're lied to and taught that oh. they need to go do this and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not, you know, they're due. Well, 
empathy for having empathy for them is the default. Of course, like you have empathy for them. I, I mean, I do anyway. Like, I'm not mad at them in the least. Right. right. Yeah, I agree. It's it's people who've made financial mistakes, and I've made plenty. <laughs> don't learn if they're constantly bailed out of those mistakes. Yeah. Judge Lot, Judge Lot, you want to read Judge Lots or no? Dogs are really upset that the neighbor is putting up Christmas decorations. So why don't you go ahead? I'm just going to keep muting for a little bit. Uh, Judge Lott says, Carter, your education rent caused me to paint my face blue, unsheath my claymore, (laughs) and scream freedom at the top of my lungs. Thank you, Judge Lott. Uh, And I I think I haven't seen her in chat today, but uh, yeah, I don't don't see Little Ragamuffin in chat today, but she would chime in with... uh, uh, scream of freedom with you as well she were in chat i don't see her in chat um roger haynes roger haynes uh gives us 20 canadian bucks and says having a degree didn't do much for me so then i want i went to community college and got a trade i got a gig with a reputable company right after grad school but they told me they hired me because i had a degree go figure yeah i mean there are there are still people who hire because of degrees and i think that will continue but it is declining over time and as uh as you see i would say more decentralized kind of work from home economies and like a new movement in in how companies conduct themselves and how they interact with employees i think you'll start to see less um less reliance on degrees and frankly uh a lot of times, I mean, I was talking to someone who's going to Duke actually now, and she's like, she was at the campus, but still Zooming into classes. So she's only at campus because she can hang out with her friends. They're still Zooming. So it's like, well, at that point, what's the point of, like, if everything is Zoom, it's, I think people are really understanding, not just at the lower levels of education, but even at the university level, like, a lot of this stuff just isn't worth it. It's just not worth it. And by the way, a lot of great universities have awesome classes online. Um, you can take a bunch of classes from MIT, which I have, and uh, I think Stanford's got a bunch of stuff online. You can take a lot of stuff online for free. So in terms of Hills, learning. Uh, is it Hillsdale College is the really good one? Hillsdale has online classes. I don't know. Do they? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So I think we're They got up. a lot on the Constitution. Yeah. Um, okay, we've gone a little more than two hours, so I think we should wrap it up. Wow. I keep thinking we're going to have a short show, and it's never a short show. Yeah, I'm not complaining. No. Thank you, guys. Oh, wait. Can I share I'm something with everyone? We had a YouTube yeah. comment. I made a comment the other day, which I stand by, uh, which is that um, it's hard to actually find a catalog of the evidence of uh, election fraud or anything like that. There's not like the mainstream media is doing a bad job of cataloging anything. Someone shared this website. It's called hereistheevidence.com. It's crowdsourced, um, but it's ranked by significance. And uh, if you're interested in delving into the topic, I've, I'm kind of, you know, we're not spending a lot of time railing about the election stuff too much anymore. But there it is. If you want to go look at it, you can. Sites do exist, so I appreciate uh, I don't. Sorry, I forgot who shared that, but I appreciate whoever shared that. Um, 
that's all I wanted to share before we left. Cool. So. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I got to go take care of these doggies. All right. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for joining us again. If it was your first time here, you're watching unsafe space, our live show could puffy break. Uh, don't forget to do the things you do. Liking, disliking. If you dislike sharing, <laughs> subscribing, if you'd like to support us financially, we have a page at unsafespace.com, a donate page with lots of different ways to do so. You could donate Bitcoin, you could. which is doing pretty good today. Is it? Um, I haven't looked. You could also, yeah, you could also go to our subscribe star. And uh, if you subscribe to the $25 level a month, you get, or above, you get a, one of our grenade mugs. Uh, we do have a merchandise store that we always forget to talk about. So if you, if you want a tote bag, with um, Knit Dangerously on it, or if you want a t-shirt with Carter's face on it, you can go to the shop at Unsafe Space. We have book club coming up on December 20th. Our book this month is fiction, and we're reading The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein, which is one of Carter's favorite books. If you want to be a part of book club, you can also, unsafespace.com, go to the book club page, and it tells you how to join. And, oh, and this Friday, after Cafefe break, oh, yeah. I'll, be on, I'll be on Friday Night Tights again on Nerdrotic. So those of you who uh, enjoyed that last one or want to see what the fuss is about, uh, that'll be live on Friday. I really like talking to those guys. They're fun. It's it's, it's like fun it's show. like talking like it's sort of like talking to Mystery Chris because it's all pop culture related. So I hope I get to talk about things um, other than social justice and knitting this time. But hey, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> you're the knitting channel representative, so. Oh god, I know. I could be I could be the uh no, I'm not. I could be the uh uh Doctor Who person if we're only talking about certain seasons. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I found out Gary, that's like he loves Doctor Who, so I'm like, okay, maybe we'll get to talk about that. There you go. I'm not as interested in talking about Star Trek or Star Wars, to be honest, but I have done some homework on it that uh Mystery Chris made me do, so I couldn't talk about talk it. Talk about like Firefly or something. Oh, you don't like Firefly. Firefly. I never watched Firefly. <gasps> Shocker. I know. I'm familiar with it a little bit, but I didn't watch it. Cutting you off, Carrie. And I would never watch I never watched Buffy either. I could oh. talk about Walking Dead or any, you know, any of the zombie series or comics. It, it, anyway, I'm excited. We'll right, see. Go talk about zombies. Maybe we'll get to talk about Doctor Who. Okay. If you talk about zombies, you can talk about social justice at the same time. And you'll be yeah. killing two birds with one stone. All right. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Carrie. We'll see you Thanks. later. Bye. Take care. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, 
The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please report any sightings to your local Red Guard representative. Did you know that 98.9% .9 of country music listeners are literally Nazis? If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Here's a fun fact, a student loan can be considered a tool of oppression the moment you are asked to pay it back. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.